0: This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking, who attacked our country? You declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred by motives. And night fell on a different world. And if this is thinking... I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Seth? And the
1: conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but I want you
0: to give me power over Adam. And I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things.
2: I'm um, Khaled.
1: And today, we are we are seeing the long way to return of the Grotto Truth Q&A series. I feel like it's been a little while, maybe a month and a half since our last one.
2: Hmm. Has it been? I guess maybe. Yeah,
1: I think so. And it's just a little bit behind, but uh, more importantly behind on the yeah, total backlog Yeah, on the questions, but of we've questions. established this, yeah. Yeah, some of these are from June, I think, of this year. But weirdly, there there is a kind of synchronicity where I feel like they're they're more relevant now than when they were asked, right?
2: Yeah, some of them definitely, or some, you know, they're just timeless questions.
1: They are timeless, but yeah, yeah. there have been weird synchronicities, you know, like uh, like us dropping our COVID episode like five days before Dr. Fauci got mm-hmm. fucked over um, publicly now. Yeah, And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's cool to have, you know, a synergistic effect. But we're going to try to get through. We're doing two Q&As this month. But we're just doing one session today. Yeah. we got 11 questions. They're all really good. Yeah, and we've set
2: ourselves 11, which... We're going to catch up. We're yeah, catch I was... Up. Right, I was saying to Jimmy Fallon Gong that... We've gotten, like, I feel like we've gotten slower in terms of answering the questions, you know, we used to do more, like, at a time, but uh, I think 10 might be reasonable for, you know, we're starting a little bit late today, but, so we'll see, but, uh, you know, um, yeah.
1: We, anyway. I, think we'll, I think we'll make some progress, and we'll, well, at least, we'll catch we'll up always, a little bit.
2: We always make some progress. We'll at least answer one. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so, you know, rest assured, for anybody that wants to get in line and ask a question, if you sign up for our Patreon and get access to the Grotto of Truth Discord, there's a questions sub-chat where you can... Ask a question, uh, please bracket it with SJ question uh, if you want us to actually find it because we have to control F it now.
2: (laughs) I pinned a request, um, you know, to to do that from now on. I mean, there's still a bunch of questions that haven't done that that we'll have to... It'll be a while before we get to the questions where people have gotten that memo, but I think, you know, uh, people hopefully will cleave to it from now on.
1: But we're getting there, so I guess without further ado...
2: We can jump right in, right? Let's start, yeah.
1: Sure. Um, I'll read our first question here from Young Howler. And they ask, love her, but sus Kate Bush? I don't (laughs) actually know a lot about her biography, but I'm pretty sure she's a lifelong Tory who lives reclusively in a castle and has shown interest and knowledge in occult studies. Was definitely very interested in the Gurdjieff tradition, sings about astrology and dolphins. I'm just spitballing here.
2: Okay. Uh, sus um, Kate Bush. Yeah. What? I remember, uh, Wuthering Heights, you know, the Kate Bush song, Wuthering Heights. And that's oh, yeah. like definitely, you know, a pretty sus novel. It'll be interesting to revisit like Wuthering Heights, uh, from like an SJ perspective. I haven't read that since like, you know, I, I don't know, like t- 10 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I haven't read that in 10 years, but you I've know, never I, read
1: it. That's Emily Bronte, right? Is uh,
2: it? yeah, I think it's, is it Emily or is it Charlotte Bronte? Um, I don't um, know. It's one of the Bronte here? sisters. Oh, um, I didn't
1: realize. I didn't even know about Charlotte Bronte. Yeah, well, I'm kind there's of interested a bunch in that of different era, Bronte
2: sis, uh, sisters. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in oh, Yeah, especially. Wuthering Heights is by Emily Bronte. Yeah, there's Emily Bronte, okay. Charlotte Bronte. There's also a Jane Bronte, wasn't there? Wow. Okay. Um, there's a bunch of different Brontes, um, but Jane might not have been one of them. I might just be thinking of Jane Eyre, but
1: yeah, uh, it was yeah. a common
2: name. Yeah.
1: Kind of interested in that era of um, those female novelists like that aren't named Jane Austen, but maybe even Jane Austen as well. Uh, Jane
2: Austen was a bit before that, though, wasn't she? she wasn't I'm getting kind
1: of Edith Wharton pilled right now. Um, kind of started hmm. a couple of her books, and because she's like the American version of like all of these like Victorian female writer like George Eliot and like all these other people but she well, yeah. like she her reads on like upper respectable New York society in like the late 1800s are pretty uh pretty good pretty scathing you know I think I feel like you can learn a lot you can get a lot of color you know out of uh authors like that but anyways I mean Kate Bush have you
2: been a Kate Ann Bush Bronte fan? one was oh, Ann Anne Bronte. Bronte
3: okay yeah anyways.
2: and they're you know they're a little bit after Jane Austen uh yeah, you know, yeah. like they're Kind of like when Jane Austen died, they were born. So there, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, But what about Kate Bush? What about Kate, Kate Bush? Bush? Uh, well, you know, I remember the song okay. Wuthering Heights. Uh, That's it. You're like, Wuthering Heights. Yeah, I wasn't really a big Kate Bush fan. Um, I don't know. Yeah, are you more of a Kate Bush fan? I didn't realize um, that she was a dame looking her up now. Oh, is she? Uh,
1: hmm, interesting. Yeah, she
2: seems like she has the most excellent order of the British Empire. Well, um, okay,
1: yeah, she's British, but she did have an Irish Catholic mother, so which and she is Catholic or she was raised Catholic, so she's got that that pops up in a lot of imagery and her songs and music videos and stuff. I never really got really into Kate Bush. She fell into this like unfortunate category for me that a few bands and artists did over the years, like the the most direct example that comes to mind are the Pixies, where there's like one song that like everybody knows. And was that "Wuthering always, Heights"? No, it's running, like up the, that. running up the running up the oh,
2: hill. running up the hill. Yeah, I've heard
1: that uh, too. Burr, burr, burr. Okay, we get it. It's a good song. Shut the fuck up. Like, uh, I'm sorry. I, like, w- for me, like uh, another example of that was like the Pixies and "Where Is My Mind?" And it was like only until years later I actually went and listened to like other Pixie songs. But I feel like throughout high school and college in my 20s, it was like always somebody being like, "Yo, do you listen to Pixies, bro?" Like. Where is my mind? Like it's so. (laughs) You know, I uh, I feel like the pixies
2: were a little bit like before my time, like in a way, like they They felt like a kind of like a Gen X-y band. Like, they are, you know, but uh,
1: compared to, I don't know, like Nirvana, which I was like very into, it was like a middle schooler or something, like the the Pixies were much more East Coast. Um, they didn't have as much of a like penetration, I feel like, like West Coast, like kids yeah. weren't listening to the Pixies as hard. Like when I lived in the East Coast, that's when I noticed like lots of people. It was like that was their Nirvana, kind of, and but, like, where is my mind? Just, like, I get it. I think it's a good song, but it just annoys me for some reason that, like, everybody's so singularly, I don't know, there's something about, like, I, I don't know, I'm probably just being petty or weird, but it's, like, people coming to you, like, I've discovered this secret, like, I'm going to change your life right now with this song, but, like, when, like, the, the 20th person does it, and it's, like, this was in Fight Club, and, like, it's not it's a good song, but it's like not, it's no Hotel California.
2: I didn't okay? really, I didn't really have the same experience. Oh, that's, yeah, it's pretty funny for you to say like, oh, this song is a little bit overplayed. i am like, yeah, uh, but I guess maybe But
1: people acknowledge right. that about the Eagles. They don't acknowledge it about the Pixies. They act like the Pixies are so cool and stuff. And I don't Pete know. Bush, I,
2: didn't, I didn't have that experience. I feel like the Pixies almost were like something that people, especially where is my mind, I feel like. You know, what was a like guitar hero. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe just like because I'm a couple of hill. years younger than you. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Uh, well, but my, I don't know if my, that should make that much of a difference. But I don't know. I think that the <sighs> I associate the Pixies was kind of like the violent femmes, like kind mm, okay. of uh, yeah, see, like that type of shit, okay. like. You know, like I just bands like that are art always,
1: school or, kids on like the East Coast, like, yeah, the Pixies. Like,
0: yeah, you know, like same. it's like, um or like King it's one of those again
2: bands and like bands cool. like King Crimson or something uh, where, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I get it. Like, my okay. morning
1: jacket, worst band name ever. I hate it. I just hate that name. I don't know why. I just despise... They're not even a bad band, but I just hate it. Okay, like, so let's... Morning jacket? Okay, whatever. Before Anyways. we recording,
2: you are like, let's try to keep it <sighs> 20 right, minutes. Right. So we haven't <laughs> talked about Kate Bush at all. Okay, and, all, right, uh, all, right, all right. All right.
1: So Kate Bush, I, my first exposure to that song and Kate Bush in any form, I think, was uh, when like I think it was like the season three premiere of the OC used a cover of running up that hill when Ryan Atwood is fighting in like an illegal cage fighting match. Okay. <laughs> like uh, All right. I'm millennial <laughs> dating myself. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And um, I feel like I've encountered her and again, you know, kind of like very like a kind of art school. Like I feel, I feel like you're like, I don't know, like, a polyamorous grad student or something, you have, like, a, you might have a worshipful attitude towards Kate Bush. It's like, she's a witch. Like, she's... She's a And witch. like, she's a feminist. Like, she's yeah. a... Di- and, and so, I don't know, there's always something a little... Because I you do get, like, upsetting vibe. Like, I always got, like, these, like, kind of upsetting vibes, like, from her music. But I never delved much deeper than Running Up That Hill, which is, like, a catchy song. It was kind of like that It's a Mad World song from, like, the 80s, like that everybody started covering in the 2000s and it just, like perpetuated itself forever. oh yeah
2: it's so funny yeah the donnie darko song yeah i i make fun of that song all the time like with my fiance i'm always like you know oh, no, me, me. it's so funny yeah, well especially like because the original yeah. version was like more of a i don't know like a an up-tempo song or something like by some band but then there was like that cover that was like, a, that was, like a donnie darko yeah it was in, like, uh, like
1: gears of war commercials for like video games so like stupid. i remember that was a big deal. yeah, yeah so well it's stupid. just like
2: the most i feel like it's like something that would be like in the Maybe it even was. Like, I feel like it's something that would be like in the trailer for like Joker. Justice League. <laughs> you know? it actually was. You know, like in, it's a mad world. I think it's like, actually. Uh, oh, no. You also. know what? It was in Suicide Squad, wasn't it? The trailer for Suicide yes, Squad where he's Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. fucking lame. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> my association with that. It's like unbearably okay. stupid and lame. But,
1: but, yeah. but okay. So that that said, all that said, I did go back <laughs> and I I, decide, I saw this question, but I'm like, okay, people in the grotto are vibing with Kate Bush. They all I also do acknowledge that there's some sus vibes there. So I decided to, like, go in and, like, you know, read a little bit about her, listen to a few records. I have to say, like, very talented. And I feel like I, I'd gotten past my hang-up of, like, uh, like, an unassailable boomer icon that everyone who thinks they're really sophisticated is obsessed with and thinks, like, whatever. Like, I think she's legitimately... Like very, very talented. And a lot of her music is really interesting. And the imagery and everything. I went and watched, God, what was it called? Like the the cross, the circle, and the it was it was the movie that she did as an accompaniment to her nineteen ninety-three album
2: uh, the, the Red, line, the the Red the shoes, the, curve.
1: the line, yeah. the cross, and the curve. And yeah. that's interesting. Oh, it it's based like a, on the
2: Red Shoes.
1: Yeah, the Red Shoes which is a, right. was, was a book and also has, like, all these allusions to, like, you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz and everything. And it's kind of like a... The
2: Red Shoes is from before was it the Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, like, you is. know, now the Red Shoes kind of evoke the ruby slippers. But, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it's Hans Christian Andersen who... Yeah. I kind of like Hans Christian Andersen. Like, yeah, it's a little bit like some of his... Writing has that sort of, um, you know, very like fairy tale kind of like sing songy quality, but some of it is also, you know, it certainly captures a time. Like, you know, uh, that's, yeah, very, very. There's some very interesting Hans Christian Andersen uh, stories. Um, yeah, you know, but.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that Kate Bush definitely is obsessed with like the occult. She oh, yeah, is obsessed sure. with I ideas of, like so being too. a witch and yeah. she's obsessed with or, like, Catholic iconography. I don't know if you want, you know, maybe a like to the to Gothic
2: and but... the traditional sense, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. like I feel like goth kids like wouldn't consider Kate Bush to be like goth per se. Cause like, she's not, you know, like post-punk necessarily. Yeah. Um, or she's not like Bauhaus, you know, she's not like Susie Sue. She doesn't like necessarily dress goth, but like, her, definitely, her music is very like uh, you know the inspirations for her songs are very much like gothic in the sense of like you know gothic literature, you know uh, like Wuthering Heights. Like uh, oh, yeah, you know, I definitely. guess the the Red Shoes maybe like has that it's not strictly the same or strictly gothic per se, but definitely has that kind of uh, you know dark uh, dark vibe, you know. Uh, and there's something else that she did that was similar. I'm trying to think that kind of uh, I think is is in that vein. Um, it's a uh, Escaping me now. Um, oh yeah, she did the uh, the thing that was kind of based on *Turn of the Screw*. Another kind of a gothic story. Uh, oh, interesting. A novella. Interesting. You go *Turn yeah. of the Screw*. She did like a uh, what was it called? I'm looking it up now. Oh, *The Infant Kiss* is the name of the song. I guess it's actually based on uh, a film called *The Innocence*, which is based on *The Turn of the Screw*. Interesting. interesting that uh, in her rendition apparently it's about an unstable woman's pedophilic infatuation with a young boy in her care which is not what the turn of the screw is really about huh. you know there's definitely children involved but i wouldn't necessarily uh read that into it as far as i remember i don't know if that's a plot element in the movie the innocence but i uh, kind of weird that kate bush decided to take in that direction uh <laughs> I mean, but, right. she
1: takes a lot of things in a lot of interesting um, directions, and one thing that I think is fascinating about her is that she only went on tour once, I think, in like the late seventies when she was kind of on her come up, right? And yeah, because she's
2: like you know reclusive, she's mad kind woman of in the attic,
1: and yeah, and, and but she was a huge pioneer in kind of music videos like going back to even like the late seventies before MTV and like most people were doing it and they're very evocative. They're like very like Kenneth Anger, um, you know, in a way like, not like, you know, as like Luciferian, like in your face, but there's one particular video from her, her movie. I forget what it's called. Uh, I'm trying to see which song it was. I don't know if it's Moments of Pleasure or The sing of, the Song of Salt. Oh, wait, no. I think it's The Red Shoes. Yes, it's The Red Shoes. Um, let me see if I can find it right now because it's like an extremely it, it's one of the like this, uh, this short film that she did is kind of a 45-minute suite of like connected music videos and I think a lot of them were like chopped up. To mm-hmm. basically... Oh yeah, here it is. Um, the Red Shoes. Yeah, the title track. And let me give it to you in the the chat right here. Um, and if you, zoom, if you skip ahead to like two minutes in the video, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's extremely hell in a bucket. It's mm-hmm. like extremely hell in a bucket. When you start to get... Like she's dancing with two devil men on <laughs> a mountain of skulls with like fire in the background. And the devil has given her the magical Red Shoes And she's, like, and it's kind of, like, an Irish Celtic, like, uh, rhythm, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: which she was very, like, into. And she's wearing almost, like, she's wearing this, like, sexy black dress and wearing a kind of almost, (laughs) like, beta sex kitten, like, little cat ears, but maybe kind of, like, horns as well. And the kind of refrain at the end is, like, it's really happening to you. And she's, like, so (laughs) happy and, like, excited. But then at the end of the video, she gets, like, kind of, like... She gets kind of rolled up like a pretzel. And her feet are, like, comically, like, wiggling around in the air with the red shoes on. And this guy who seems to represent the devil is like standing there and she's like, help me, help me take these off. And he turns around and he goes like, it's really happening to you. Huh? <laughs> like, and it's just like so, <laughs> so sus. Like basically she meets like an Irish fairy queen who all, like kind of, you know, like gives her, tells her, I'm going to give you these magical red shoes. And then she does. And it turns out they're a curse. And then like that means that like she's been enslaved by like the spirit of like a, a banshee woman that in turn, was cursed by being given the shoes and blah, blah, blah. So it's like a whole thing. Yeah, the original
2: story of the red shoes basically sounds kind of similar to that, basically that, like, you know, a girl gets this pair of red shoes, um, and yes, they become cursed in some way, or they were always cursed, but basically she has to dance and can't stop dancing until she dies. Yeah, that's what um, it, it's
1: like. A, it's done in kind of a wacky way, but that's basically what happens to her. Is like her legs just keep like wiggling and wiggling, and she's like increasingly like almost they're almost like like a she's like contorted in a bizarre position. It's probably some kind of prop where they're like somebody else's legs are like wiggling around, and it's not her. But uh, yeah, it's like it, it's a lot of spooky imagery. Um, she definitely talks a lot about witchcraft. We discovered like an academic paper that was kind of talking about like. All the feminist themes and like the embrace of the occult. There's the one song where she talks about the four angel, the four archangels, like in a circle around her, like protecting her. Like a, I think she it's literally referenced off a banishing spell in the in the Kabbalah. Mm
2: -hmm. That does sound very you know like yeah a lot of the time you'll invoke like the four archangels to like especially in a circle to protect you like in yeah
1: so she's really in into magic. like magic yeah. definitely i would say like more in like the white magic variety she does she doesn't seem to be like uh, like embracing satanism per se but she does seem to be embracing like being like a celtic witch witchery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah witchery mm-hmm. and but but i think that's also why like like people like her today is because she's like a feminist witch, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so I think that's like, that's an, but maybe that's, I don't know. I feel like it, it all comes from a very personal um, place. And uh, yeah, the other one that I, uh, the other video I watched, I just put it in the chat for you um, that I think was released like independently in the late eighties was called experiment four, which actually stars a young Hugh Laurie, but that might be the most sus kind of video that I've found of Kate Bush because the lyrics of it... Let me just see if it was... Yeah, I mean, was the lyrics of The
2: Infant Kiss are pretty sus, too. I mean, looking at uh, the yeah. plot of the movie The Innocents, it does seem like there's, like, a little bit of that there, but... I mean, The Infant Kiss kind of really puts it all out there. You know, it really is just like about a woman who like is in love with like a little boy. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh,
1: the Innocent Kiss. Okay, I haven't heard that song yet. Uh, the, but, the, oh, the Infant, infant Kiss. kiss. The inf- yeah. Ew. Yeah, it's very okay. fucking
2: weird. Like, you know, there's no real ambiguity in the lyrics. It's just like about like, I'm in love with a little boy. I'm a woman and I love a little boy. And I'm a pedophile. Like, oh, my God. Okay, yeah. Let me, let's me
1: let just read this fuck? for a second. Okay, this is from 1980. So, she, I mean, she was probably, like, I don't know, 20 or something. Like, she, she started out very young, and she got turned on. She came from, like, kind of a, a well-off family of artsy people in England. And her dad was, like, friends with David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. And he passed along, like, a demo tape when she was, like, 15. And so she got signed... I want to say to like e- uh, emi i think and they gave her like a huge advance and she spent a few years like doing dance lessons and piano lessons and stuff and like honing her craft and then i think when she was 19 was on her first album but okay these lyrics i say good night night i tuck them in tight but things are not right what is this an infant kiss that sends my body tingling i've never fallen for a little boy before no control Just a kid and just at school. Back home, they'd call me dirty. His little hand is on my heart. He's got me where it hurts me. Knock, knock, who's there in this baby? You know how to work me. All my barriers are going. It's starting to show. Let go, let go. I cannot sit and let something happen, all regret, ooh, he scares me, there's a man behind those eyes, I catch him when I'm bending, ooh, how he frightens me, when they whisper privately, poor stupid girl, Windy Whaley blows me, words of caress on their lips that speak of adult love, I want to smack but I hold back, I only want to touch, but I must stay and find a way to stop before it gets too much." okay so
2: yeah like some of that like does kind of seem like turn of the screw inspired or like you know by an interpretation of turn of the screw where like the kid is like literally possessed by like the ghost of like an adult but i feel like the like element of like the lust of i guess the governess figure or like the you know the hero in that story is not like as heavily is that is not put on as thick or really even at all in the original maybe in in the maybe in the movie the innocence but uh you know that that's that weird so really she there. feels yeah,
1: like there's oh, yeah. a man like inside of this baby that like, yeah wants her and she's fighting the urn Oh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs>
2: like, that's, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's a Experiment lot. four has got yeah. weird lyrics the, the, too. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, I have it right here. Uh, the, the, I mean, this is a crazy video. Like, this is a very like bizarre MK. Almost like you know, in light of Havana Syndrome. Talk about relevant. Uh, this mm-hmm. is what Experiment Four's lyrics are. We were working secretly for the military. Our experiment in sound was nearly (laughs) ready to begin. We only know in theory what we are doing. Music made for pleasure. Music made to thrill. It was music we were making here until they told us all they wanted was a sound that could kill someone from a distance. So we go (laughs) ahead and the meters are over in the red. It's a mistake in the making. From the painful cries of mothers to a terrifying scream, we recorded it and put it into our machine. They told us all they wanted was a sound that could kill someone from a distance, uh, blah, blah, blah. It could feel like falling in love. It could feel so bad. It could feel so good. It could sing you to sleep. But that dream is your enemy. We won't be there to be blamed. We won't be there to snitch. I just pray that someone there can hit the switch. They told us all they wanted was a sound that could kill someone from a distance. (laughs) So we go ahead and the meters are over in the red. It's a mistake in the making and the public are warned to stay off.
2: Uh, this sounds like a, just a straight up like chronicle of something that actually happened. I know, like, right? What fuck? Fuck? Yeah, it like Kate uh, Bush. The I like how there's like game. not really much of like. I mean, I guess you could read this entire thing as a metaphor, but there isn't really like much of a metaphor here. It's just like a straight up narrative of like a bunch of artists who are working to make like you know compelling music, but then like the people who are funding them come in and are like actually like. Uh, What we're really interested in is like music that can like kill people (laughs) (laughs) like this is interesting like all the psyop type stuff that you're doing and like you know the emotional manipulation but like really yeah I feel like we've seen that story like so many times in these type of like you know MK projects where like they have like some kind of subtle thing worked out or they're making progress in some kind of you know more oblique direction but then like the people who are funding it are like yeah but like okay that's interesting that you can like read minds or whatever but can you like make people's heads explode you know (laughs) uh like how can we use this to just like kill somebody (laughs) you know like well uh, i mean for
1: sure like when you think about like alice stanley developing the wall of sound like for the grateful dead yeah exactly like dual use experimental like
2: yeah i can see alice stanley being like think about how you can manipulate people like for the propaganda value of this and then being like, yeah, but like, what if the wall of sound could just like kill, Castro?" (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, Right.
1: And then, you know, Michael Aquino, um, talking in mind war about using sonic weaponry and like low frequency waves and stuff. So it's like, not, she's not talking out of nowhere about this experiment for, yeah. I mean, so I don't know. Is she trying to blow the whistle, you know, a little bit, or is she, uh, revealing a method? I mean, she did get, uh, damed by yeah. her majesty eventually um, so I don't know but I mean I think it, it's interesting she's in that kind of liminal case of like I I'm, I'm not exactly convinced that she's like celebrating the dark things that she talks about in her things but she's definitely she's gone down some spooky uh, some spooky she's she's dive, dove into some spooky catacombs before I think artistically and maybe personally um, the last thing I'll say is like she's supposed uh young Haller says that she's a lifelong tory i I looked that up and i guess i don't know if she's like really a tory but um she did say something in 2016 supportive of theresa may that was like when i went back and looked at it it was actually just like a very like 2016 i'm with her kind of girl bossy statement about Mm -hmm. how like they were like i don't know what they said they were like do you think that sexism played a role in like Hillary Clinton losing. And she's like, I don't know, but like in England, we've had, you know, a female prime minister. It's like the best thing that's happened to us in a while. And it <laughs> well, shows that like, it's great to have a woman in charge and stuff like yeah. that. So people jumped on her as like, oh shit, you're a Tory. But then like a couple of years, it, a f- she took a few years before coming out and being like, that's not really what I meant. I was referring to David Cameron, who was way worse than her. And I was just saying that, like, it's nice to have, like, women in positions of power and blah, blah, blah. I mean,
2: that doesn't seem like someone is very politically aware to, like, say anything even adjacent to that about Thatcher.
1: Not Thatcher. uh, Theresa May.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, not Thatcher. I thought she was saying, like, when we had one, it was one of the best things that happened. Oh, no, 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 Uh, yeah. She was
1: speaking when Theresa May was prime minister. But I think also, like, before Brexit. uh, I forget if it was before or after Brexit, like, happened. But she was kind of she claimed later she was contrasting her pos like positively in relation to David Cameron who she didn't like and yeah i don't really know like it, it, so you know she might be a little bit of a, a little bit of a tory also might be a little bit of a lib you know i think that or just kind of like a boomer like rich feminist who's like i like seeing women at the corporate boardroom table like that means mm-hmm. that democracy is working like you know okay whatever but yeah i don't know if she's like a hardcore tory she said that she doesn't she's like probably, making political statements and she doesn't yeah like she's talking probably about apolitical
2: politics. like a lot most occultists are um <laughs> you know she probably yeah, only cares enough. about like you know the white goddess baphomet uh and her presence <laughs> in the in the boardroom Sure, Um, sure, you know.
1: Um, Yeah, so, you know, but I think her music is good, and it's very interesting, very eclectic and, like, out there and weird. And, uh, you know, but she also could have been, like, her career kind of feels like she was, like, an indigo child prodigy that, like, they identified very early. Like, oh, this girl's, like, freakishly talented. We need to, like, put millions of dollars into her and, like, cultivate her and blah, 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 and, and let her... I don't know, experiment with magic and then make like very strange albums that are haunting and kind of beautiful. Um, but I think that, uh, I'm glad I listened to the rest of it because a lot of it's like way more interesting than running up that hill. Hmm. I think that's like kind of like, it's an okay yeah. song, but you know, anyways. Um, okay. So should we move on to uh number two?
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's do you want to read that? All right. I'll read it. <laughs> Sir Brainy asks thoughts on what's bapping. Um, Yeah, I mean, What's Vapen is truly a singular individual. Um, Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think, like, What's is kind of, like, what happens when you just, like, reach a state of, like, pure contrarianism, where, like, you just develop, like, very, like, passionately held opinions based on, like, trying to have the opposite opinion to what others have, like, but... You know, like, whatever you come across, you have to, like, position yourself opposite to it, and you end up, like, in this weird, like, bizarre ideological corner. I don't think that there's anything, like, sus about Wasp Bapin. It's just kind of like, oh, I you think. know, this weird freak. Uh I think it's—when
1: I, I, I went and looked at his—I need a little refresh. I don't think, so, like,
2: anyone listens to Wasp Bappen, though. That's the like, thing. Like, I don't— I think- like,
1: well I, yeah. I I mean I I think there there's ops and there's ops you know like there <laughs> I, I think that he's somebody that it's like he he might just be a kind of self-regulating op. Yeah, yet. I think that
2: if he's an op like, he's a self-regulating op he's a lone like wolf you know. Op. Yeah, but, but like I think that oping. he yeah, I mean he often op- but I I feel like like the operations that he's kind of like running like you know on autopilot like aren't like effective on anybody. Like nowadays he's true. like a la- In fact, like he's like such a laughing stock. I feel like that, like the more you converge with what's happened, like the more, uh, you know, your, your opinion is suspect. I think that's probably I mean, true. One thing I will say for what's happened is that I think that <laughs> there's one thing that I think what's happened has like a little bit of a point about, which is that is like, you know, and I'm not saying that this is like true of everyone who like, you know, makes uh, statements in this vein, But I do think that, like, there's, you know, certainly a tendency, like, on the left of people who, like, have, like, a very uh, dilettante or, like, shallow knowledge of the Middle East to, like, get into kind of, like, a, uh, I mean, I don't know if West Baping has even moved past this phase now or, like, what this is, like, you know, something that's. Uh, that he continues to espouse but uh you know his whole thing of like uh the like anti-sunni like oh the left wants to genocide all sunnis or whatever i what feel like said? uh well that was something that he would say for a while i don't know if he you know still says that i, I know that now he's like all about being like pro-israel or whatever he literally and like of to, course yeah the, you know all his,
1: jewish people the left wants to kill you
2: Yeah, well, of course, like, his version of, like, any stance is, like, completely ridiculous, and, like, he's, like, a maniac, but I I think, like, you know, what he observed, like, there is a little bit of of truth to it, especially, like, in the heyday when, like, for whatever, you know, bizarre oppy reason, like, the Syrian war was very, like, determinative of American politics, and, like, people were first, like, getting, like, uh, in the words of uh, a Harvard student who actually overheard once, uh, quote-unquote, radicalized by Chapo. Um, that you know, <laughs> there were like people who were like, Oh, yeah, you know, like everyone who's Sunni, like they're actually Al Qaeda, and like it's a Shia who are good. And it's like, Shut the fuck up! Like, that's not remotely true. Like, I do remember,
1: uh, I do remember this era, and I, I remember you kind of uh set, setting me right at various points. Not that I ever went that far, but I think that there was a time where if you looked at the breakdown, the geopolitical breakdown of the Syrian conflict, you saw that there are all these. Pretty much all the majority Sunni factions were backed by the Gulf states, like the EU, the UK and the United States and like their allies, like NATO basically and Turkey and Israel. Um, And so seeing like that that squad lined up behind like these quote unquote like Sunni insurgents and whatever. I, I I see why people, and then, you know, like all the Shias are standing up against U.S. imperialism and, and the, the Alawites are standing up against it, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do agree. Like, that's like an extremely way too reductive thing. And it, it also kind of like over, I think it overstates like the influence and both numerically and just like qualitatively of like Al-Qaeda type people. And like, even like I think Salafists, correct me if I'm wrong, like yeah. in the overall sunnah you know, uh, uh, the, the Sunni, yeah, well, definitely the for Sunni sure. population, you know? Well, yeah, of a, course, it
2: shows like not a very uh, meaningful, like or it, not not a very robust understanding of Sunnism in general, but I also think like it doesn't show like a very uh, good understanding, I think, of like even, yeah, of even of Al-Qaeda or like movements like al-Nusra and like who's in them and like, you know, yeah. it's... I mean it's kind of like adopting this weird like it's like from an imperial like an anti-imperial axis perspective like adopting this like weird terror war like metric like not to say that like those groups aren't bad and like aren't sus and like in many ways like you know yeah like are propped up by uh you know uh Saudi Arabia or by Gulf Monarchs or by the US uh you know or uh, Israel is being caught again um (laughs) for you know sponsoring them or in in whatever way but uh yeah, I just like so I mean, I, de- and I definitely think that like when outside of like the, you know, political situation within Syria, like it was uh, determinative of the kind of like political discourse that was happening, like was kind of operating within like of like people like bloviating on Twitter. And I think that a yeah. lot of like, you know, want to be like, you know, experts like, you know, 20 uh, year olds like who are being radicalized by like. Uh, these podcasts by idiots, like, in their dorm rooms, you know, and then thinking that they were, like, geopolitical masterminds who just now learned from some podcasts that there's a difference between Sunni and Shia and, like, what it is uh, in vague terms. You know, they're like, oh, one of them's good, one of them's bad. And, like, there definitely was a time, like, on Twitter which I think is really the source of what's happened, sort of psychosis and his general perception of the world where like there were a bunch of obnoxious people who are like, yeah, you know, like uh, they're all Al Qaeda. And it's just like, you know. I I think
1: that that even ties like way back to 9-11 and like the start of the war on terror, the kind of there's different layers of the onion that you can accept when you start to reject like the dominant war on terror narrative. And I feel like the first layer of the onion is like, Oh my God, like Saudi Arabia helped all these hijackers and stuff, and they fund Al Qaeda and all these things, even though they pretend they don't. So, like, what the? F- and then, so I feel like some people go off on that to be like, Saudi Arabia is spreading like this version of Wahhabism around, you know, various places around the world. And in some places, like, their intelligence services are actively trying to recruit uh, jihadi, like, mercenaries, basically, to go and fight in different places. And sure, like, America might be kind of, you know, involved in that to some degree, but, but it's like we have to get control of our Saudi friends over there and assert that, like, we need to tell them to stop. Like, that's what, like, Robert Bayer would say, like, in his books and stuff. That's, like, level one. But then it's, like, you dig deeper, and it's, like, well, how much of this stuff is just being kind of, like, cynically manufactured and doesn't have... It doesn't actually have as big of a base as, like, anybody claims that it does. And it's kind of, like, when you need to send in an army of mercenaries, like, you... Send in these people that, like, as we talked before about with ISIS, who are kind of very insincere fundamentalists in a lot of Mm, ways. Like, they're not really religiously sophisticated and it's not really organic. No, certainly not religiously
2: sophisticated, that's for sure. Or even, like, really, like, religiously motivated, like, fundamentally. Like, in a brutal situation, a lot of the time, like, the most, like, brutal group— is the one that's going to, like, sort of bubble to the top, especially if, like, they have uh, sponsorship. And I think that everyone who gets sort of swept up into, like, one of these groups, be it ISIS or even be it al-Nusra, like, you know, I think that they're not all, like, super uh, devoted to, like, the ISIS ideology such as it is. And that definitely was something that the Western media kind of uh, suggested or portrayed as being true. That like the people in ISIS were like, you know, these very, you know, intellectual like, uh, you know, uh, Salafists who were going out there, you know, to to live out the, you know, the true Islam, you know, ISIS is Islamic very Islam- very islamic. you know like they, they literally are going yeah. to
1: sack rome if we don't stop them yeah know? exactly like, <laughs> like that was the real like you know gonna driving
2: thrust behind isis was like you know an, an islamic ideological project like no that's not when in fact it was, was it was uh
1: on. it was operation timber sycamore like a five billion dollar cia project to like arm whoever we could get basically to go in there and then like it's so complicated but i think the left I think there was uh, definitely people who got, like, distracted on the left into, like, picking sides in, like, a sectarian conflict that is really— Well,
2: actually, looking at uh, Wes Bappin's, you know, twit text, uh, his uh, his little articles here under the name of anti-white people (laughs) action— Cool. Yeah, he uh, uh, here's here's one uh, take that I think you know has a little bit of of merit to it, where oh he's God. saying uh, kind of weird. Leftists were the ones to secure the first Aryan homeland of the twenty first century. Biji Bekswadana Rojava or Rojava is how you say the fourteen words from the left. <laughs> if the Northwest Front took over after Trump withdrew to besiege Chicago and the Carolinas, non whites wouldn't have to worry about extermination. It just gets conscripted while the cadres haggled out an autonomy deal with Trump and prepared to fight the real enemy, Canada. Like again, what is this <laughs> fucking metaphor? I don't oh sorry, so the Northwest Front. It's a local yellow vest knockoff made a benighted working class folk the lefties will love. And Canada has so many missing indigenous women better prepare to liberate Turtle Island, decolonize now. So he's so like fucking like off in some other dimension, but I feel like uh what he's saying is that like you know the idea that like the like fanatical like obviously like astroturf like love of rojava like you know is a good example of how like you know uh, i think that maybe what started to spiral this person off into insanity was seeing the way that these like like very facile ideological camps formed on Twitter around this conflict that people mostly had no relationship to, to the point that they were like flying overseas to be like DOD mercenaries and calling airstrikes (laughs) on the iPad. Um, you know, because that was, it all comes down to solidarity. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that that like, that might've been like, you know, the little germ, of something that, like, was, like, kind of a real phenomenon that slowly, like, drove this person out of their mind to the point where I can still see, like, you know, like, a, a glimmer of something that, like, I kind of can understand where they're coming from, and the rest of this is borderline incomprehensible. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, <laughs>
1: like I, he, <laughs> he uses such, like, fascist language to accuse everybody on the left of being, like, a literal fascist, but then the reasons yeah. he gives for them being fascist are, like, uh, like, what? Like, I don't know. He's, uh... No, it's true. I mean, uh, I I think... uh, But, you know, there were a lot of, like, tankies who are the people that he hates more than anybody that also were saying the same shit about, like, Rojava being, like, an ethnostate and, like, under different circumstances, like... Yeah, this would be against this but because it's like based and like yeah,
2: it's anarchism like feminism and it's con- democratic man. confederalist environmentalist feminism
1: uh, <laughs> yeah and, and lost in that is like you don't really need to take a side on the whole Assad issue if you're a leftist because that was the really that was the hot button stance to take in like 2014 2015 2016 that would get you like uninvited from panels at like fucking left forum and get like boycotted and cancelled uh for the most if you were like a serious journalist then if you came out and were just like i think that like the assad government should not be overthrown people like oh my god you're fucking fascist like you're fascist assadist you know like like and he Mm -hmm. he was was badman was like huge on that tip of like you assadist fucking tankies just love genociding like blah 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 sunnis he was playing it from the other end but um yeah, I don't know, but like, you know, it was hard to take us. St- Nowadays like people don't really care anymore. They moved on. Or, you know, people on the left were able to like j- like sidestep that issue and just be like, yeah, but the Kurds, bro. The Kurds, yeah. that's my team. Like, I don't I don't yeah, believe exactly. this two-party like, system, man. I want to go with the Green Party. The Kurds like the Rojava Kurds over here. And, you know, eventually like any third party in America, they got kind of folded into they were just like A puppet of something else they weren't anything like really legitimate and uh you know they and they were not nice to sunnis either but unlike you know anybody that even refused to condemn Assad was saying like you want to genocide sunnis but then like you go fight in base Rojava which was actually dispossessing sunnis from their land and replacing yeah. them with Kurds uh, in many cases just by claim, if they claim that you're like ISIS. I mean, we
2: read that article in like yeah. a past Q&A of the guy who was like, I wish I should have never left Raqqa. <laughs> you know, like, what? That's not way. In a, not in, a ring endorsement. not a ring endorsement. In kind of a fucked
1: up way, yeah. it allowed like people, like leftists to be like mean towards Sunnis and also mean towards like all and like Assaf it's a great way people.
2: to like leftistly murder arabs uh it's an amazing way to leftistly murder arabs like it's some hyper trot shit it's some hyper
1: trot yeah. and it's like
2: you know force. i feel like i get it if you're a kurd and you live like you know in uh rojava you know if you live in uh northern syria And, like, you actually, like, that's your positionality, like, in the world. And, like, I can understand, like, you know, why you have, like, an animus towards, like, uh, Sunni Arabs and why, like, you know, or why you would uh, be motivated, you know, why your circumstances would lead you to, like, commit acts of terrorism, like, against Turkey or even why you would, like, you know, if the U.S. comes, like, they're going to uh you know like offer you like air support and you know why you would want to take it like if you're you know that's your background like that's like you know the the land that you identify with like that's your home blah blah blah. like you know you're do, but like if you're a fucking like fool from NYU or some shit who's like on Twitter (laughs) like you know to the point where you're like you know trying to pick sides in this like you know deeply like you know uh, riven conflict and like dehumanizing like one faction or another thinking you have like all figured out like who's a good guy who's a bad guy to the po- especially to the point where you're like I'm going to fly there and I'm going to join one of these armies I'm going to spend like that's deranged <laughs> It's deranged. It is. It is. No, it's, I mean, liter- it's deranged.
1: Just look at the guy who just got arrested for his like January 6th threats. Another YPG vet uh, got the book thrown. Oh yeah, the hard Daniel Krishna. Baker. Yeah, <laughs> right. Hare Krishna. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's not us at all. It's awful. Who, who, like trained? He was like running. I think the training for all the international, like horn rimmed hipsters that you know went there. He was like. You know yeah I wonder
2: <laughs> I wonder why like he was uh, like singled out because I feel like there's a bunch of people who probably like tweeted things like that. And, I mean, obviously, he's, oh, yeah. like, a more visible figure. But I wonder, like, what what about that guy? Like, do <laughs> so they have some kind of mission for him, like, in prison? Like, I don't know. Who the fuck <laughs> like, knows? Maybe make him uh, in another,
1: like, intercept kind of a human interest story Oh, yeah, you know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean,
2: he's or, only like, going for, like, 44 months or something, right? Yeah, I feel like there's some kind of reason behind that. Uh, you know, not to say that, like, there must be. you know, I believe he, was uh, at he, at he the deserves to go to shooting. prison for, like, what he said. I he mean, the, I,
1: I like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, if you looked at, like, Brooklyn Dad Defiance fucking tweets, like... Like, he probably tweeted some shit about how to shoot MAGA people after <laughs> <laughs> January 6th. You know what I mean? I mean, it's
2: really funny that, like, you know, the amazing, like, the, you know, the base, like, uh, Democratic confederalist, like, anarchist take on, like, the political situation of America. in America is, like, we must, like, surround the Capitol Police and, like, protect them, like, from, like, the mob, you know, like, okay.
3: Protect I think
2: that they're cops. fine. I really yeah. think that they're fine. Like, they're going to be okay. Like...
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Officer Sicknick uh, needs our help. <laughs> <You> know, <like laughs> Officer Sicknick. Yeah, he sure like does. Solidarity, you know, it's all, all, it all comes yeah, down Officer to solidarity. Sicknick. You know, it all so, comes yeah, down to solidarity. Yeah, they're just like Liz Cheney um, on that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. was Bappen, but his his substack is psychotic today. I, I just read like a couple of his articles and they almost broke my brain. The one from from July, he wrote, Time to Liberate Cuba This is his proposal that in order to win in 2024 against the likely nominee, Ron DeSantis, Joe Biden should, uh, he should take the golden opportunity to cripple every domestic challenge and secure a generation of electoral victories. All it takes is one little invasion. I thought he was literally being sarcastic for some reason. Like there was a kind of joke, like a running joke. I didn't get like reading this entire article, but he he seems to be incredibly serious. Like, uh, he says that they face a formidable challenger in Ron DeSantis, and so far they have no countermeasures against him, and most, if not all, attacks have fallen apart under scrutiny. He knows that the long-march Democrats, I think he means the squad, uh, have completely compromised the party's bureaucratic bench and their desire to collaborate with the Axis. ...is a vulnerability. I don't know who means that. An invasion of Cuba would deal a death blow to the socialist-communist allegations, more truthfully than not, lobbied by Republicans. This can stanch the bleeding Democrats are seeing in various immigrant communities and put new parts of the map into play that have been solidly Republican for decades, namely Texas and Florida. Uh, An invasion of Cuba would flush out the rats within the Democratic Party and halt their attempts to destroy it from within... Cuba occupies a special place among the American left and even nominally anti-tanky leftists an oxymoron as all leftists are tankies in one way or another (laughs) have a soft spot for the regime even if only for its health care which is propaganda anyway. These segments are also the chief sources of anti-Semitism within the party. Operation Cuba Libre would rob Republicans and especially DeSantis of a major attack vector they will use in 2024. The Democrats value anti-Semites who wish to destroy the United States more than Jewish Democrats one of the party's most reliable constituencies. Of course the, quote, leftist detractors will shriek, not even the neocons want to invade Cuba right now. And why should they? The broad spectrum of Republicans lazily and inaccurately referred to as neoconservatives are still conservatives. They will play thoughts and prayers, mad libs, and no more. They do not want to break the wheel. They want it to roll more traditionally over those beneath it. They only appear to be radical because the tradition of revolutionary war has been wholly abdicated by progressive forces outside of our vanguard of the willing. Neoconservative are poor unwilling stewards of a tradition foisted upon them with which they have no history affinity or desire to see revived beyond this even mainstream democrats have been brainwashed into an aversion to war by their leftist really a paleocon libertarian populist amalgamation flank at most they see war as something to be done only in the most extreme of circumstances an unjustifiable quote crime in any other this notion arises from the same nonsensical populist metaphysics as do anti-consumerism, the hmm. bi-local organic movement, and flat-eartherism. It is a bourgeois affectation <laughs> <laughs> and delusion. <laughs> the true heirs of the democratic revolutions use war as simply another tool in the political toolbox. It is no longer limited to royals and their small professional armies, but a mass phenomenon that can and has reshaped society countless times. It is no coincidence that the U.S. military is the most highly integrated institution within the U.S. and quite possibly the world. War can be just as useful in reshaping domestic coalitions and material conditions as it is for changing international ones. We could look at the example of Bismarck, who leveraged Prussian victories in three short, sharp wars against his neighbors to defeat internal rivals and create a united Germany. Direct action gets the goods. We should not be afraid to use a Cuban war to forge electoral coalitions and expand what is possible within our own borders. We haven't even considered how many states we could get out of this. This is the shocking line that I, I really thought he was like doing a joke. Only blood and iron can bend the arc of history toward justice, not great speeches and liberalism. This is the lesson of 2011. The pro fascist progressive hypnotists who have taken control of the Democratic Party deny us this divine power to reignite history and mold it to our veal. They, you know, their will. They are the great agents of, quote, neoliberalism. Stripped of this, we are left to bob helplessly in the wakes of reactionary powers who are granted total freedom of becoming. We can only react and adapt to new realities they can create at will. The American liberation of Cuba presents the rare opportunity to aid another group of human beings achieve their own freedom while breaking the forces of reaction at home. It would be a dereliction of duty of the highest order not to ruthlessly seize it. Kennedy showed the way. Now comes time to consummate that grand vision. That is the most Nazi shit I've read in like this a is, while from uh, some, like what
2: I'm the just fuck? just reading through his like frothing hatred for Palestinians which is like his yeah. new like kind of oh, big you know big bugbear uh this is an amazing line that he uses to open an essay why haven't Palestinian jets ended Assad's regime and the Syrian genocide in one strike <laughs> <laughs> like what, what fucking Palestinian jets they don't have jets. <laughs> I
1: don't know. He um, also he, yeah, he said in that article to all Jewish people the left is trying to kill you that there is no quote legitimate criticism of Israel. It does not exist. There are far more legitimate criticisms of Mexico or Indonesia. never mind Syria, Russia, China or Iran yet these places never figure in the leftist propaganda. There's reason for this. And uh, yeah, he does he says that uh, Jewish people need Israel. There were supposed to be three holocausts in the 20th century. Two were stopped, one certainly and both potentially, by Israel. Now, this is a doozy. By all appearances, had Stalin lived, his doctor's plot would have extinguished the Jewish population that remained inside the Soviet Union and its satellites. This remained a latent threat until mass immigration of Jewish people from the Eastern Bloc, primarily to Israel. I'm sorry, what? uh, Stalin was going to murder the millions of Soviet Jews... Before he died, but oh, he he died, so like that didn't happen. Like that,
2: well, but then how did Israel stop it? And like, even assuming that's true, like, what did Israel have to do with it? I
1: think he means that eventually, because Israel accepted all these immigrants, you know, the whole refuse Nix thing in like the 70s and the 80s, that like they saved all these Jews, but then why didn't they? A bunch of them stayed, so like, why didn't Stalin kill all of them? Like, I just can't with this motherfucker. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. he says, uh, yeah. It seems he like it wasn't
2: stopped by Israel, but it would other... have been stopped by Israel if it weren't stopped by Stalin dying uh, in this, like, fantasy world. Uh,
1: <laughs> I know, anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, so that was Holocaust number two, and then the Arab-Israeli wars were attempted Holocaust number three, which was stopped by the based IDF, so... I don't even know. Yeah, we should probably move on. He's too insane. I can't even... Uh, yeah, uh, we should. Him.
2: But this is a great... Uh, <laughs> you know, this is him uh, disavowing uh, the any support for the, the Syrian revolution. He says, I understand what I have done to your movement. I have, in your eyes, dealt tremendous damage to making others think your revolution is anything more than a second rank of spears behind a fascist, anti-Semitic Palestinian vanguard. For this reason, I will do as you wish. After 10 years, I hereby renounce any and all support for the Syrian revolution. Yeah, I mean, this guy's obviously insane. Cool. It's true that every single anti-Assad leftist who has glommed onto Syria most within the last two years, as I said would happen after the fall of Dara. Once the potential of a dreaded U.S. intervention to save Syrian lives is completely taken off the table, has demonstrable connections to Assadism. This is evident through their friends or the Islamo- Mismic, uh, like I guess, you know, uh, as opposed to Islamophobic, Islamo- Mismic, like uh, okay. Islam- Islam, Islam hating discourse that they perpetuated about the revolution. I mean, yeah, I guess, like, that basic point, I think that's kind of like basically what I was saying that, like, saw, there was a little bit of, like, Muslim hatred, like, baked into some of the takes on Syria that I think that, you know, yeah. is one true element of, like, what he said, you know, like, uh, it I was think like we could all like agree that uh, ISIS are
1: <laughs> pretty bad guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, we want secularism. We want an ethno state. You know, a secular ethno state. Anyway, yeah. worst
1: smelling men on planet. <sighs> yeah,
2: uh, I committed Go a, a the war crime the by peeing ages. on a dead Arab. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, um, whoops. Uh, oops, uh, getting a little bit uh, undiplomatic here, but anyway, yeah, sorry. It yeah, well, uh, just anyways. gets me a little bit pissed off when I think about some of this stuff. Uh, I know, anyway. I know.
1: Well, okay. Um, I mean, we made it through another Syria question. Okay, um, all right. We uh, number, number three here. Yeah. Um, I'll read from Country Dick. Now, this is a good one that is, I feel like, relevant right now. Oh, we're, we're not talking, out of the woods
2: yet in terms of the. We're not uh, out of the woods yet. <laughs> no.
1: Uh, so, Country Dick asks. Any insights or thoughts on the 2020 Milwaukee sex trafficking allegations? Now, do you remember this from last year, from June 2020?
2: Um, yes, I do. Yeah.
1: I remember it too. And I'll confess. I, yes, I, mean, I remember
2: I, finding it very sus. And I do remember certain people uh, <laughs> jumping out in front of it to, uh, you know, be dismissive of it. Doing a uh, in a way see that seems like a little bit conspicuous, because like of all of all things to de- to debunk, it definitely didn't seem like there was like irrefutable uh, debunkment of this. There definitely seemed to be enough murkiness around it that even from the most like skeptical point of view, you would have to give a little bit of leeway. But it's surprising, That's That's surpri- <sighs> you know, certain people who otherwise you know kind of you would think would be in the. In the camp of of giving the benefit of the doubt, or you know, uh, considering uh, some of these uh, more out there ideas about child trafficking rings or things like that, uh, yep. were oddly uh, down on on this and, and very adamant about about its uh, debunkment. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I would agree, and especially, you know, given the climate, which because that was like one month into the George Floyd protests, so there were, you know, there were riots, there were protests, like, in all these different cities, and then this video comes out. I I just rewatched it the other day, and it is pretty, like, shocking to see, like, it's a bizarre scene. It's, like, dozens of people there, you know, this is in, like, a primarily black neighborhood in Milwaukee, and they're standing at this house, you know, everyone's, like, surrounding this house and like yelling at all these cops that have formed a perimeter and are like protecting the house. And there's a van there and there are individuals. I I couldn't tell if they were actual police or, or there were other people, but there were people taking individuals out of the house and putting them in the van. And I think they had like blankets over them or like hoods over their heads or something like that. And I think what, by the, by the, by what the crowd is shouting you get the sense that some of these people might be children, the people that are being herded into the van. And the cops are kind of preventing this angry mob from, like, I don't know, going in there and seeing what the hell is going on. And it's, like, a very tense, like, bizarre situation. People are kind of just, like, yelling, like, yo, what the fuck? Like, there's, like, you're taking a kid into the van right now. Like, what are you doing? Uh, because I think two teenage girls had gone missing a few days prior in right, the neighborhood. Right, yes,
2: and... Yeah, that was basically what I recall happening, that, like, there were sort of rumors around this house like that had been mentioned mm-hmm. in connection with, you know, other disappearing kids or, uh, you know, maybe the people who lived there were registered sex offenders or something uh, in that line. But, yeah, the, the kid eventually, like, did turn up, and maybe she originally indicated that she had been there, but then, like, her story changed in some way. But anyway, yeah, like... Uh, Eventually, the kid who disappeared showed up uh, unharmed, but, or, you know, apparently unharmed, seemed to be Okay, safe. so they did
1: find, well, there, there were two girls there, so did they find both of them?
2: I thought that the one who kind of, like, initiated it, I didn't know that there were two um, that had gone missing at the there time two, that this all started. There yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, I'm looking at at the time for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel from June 24th, the day after. um, Yeah, from 2100 North 40th Street. The, The house was also set on fire like, mm-hmm. after the like the vans left. Oh, yeah, and
2: two missing teenage girls, right?
1: Yeah, there's another video I watched where they're yelling at the cops who are still guarding the house as it burns. Like, where's the fire department? Why aren't you, oh, yeah, Why are you guys letting this house they were found by burn? one
2: of their mothers. They were both found by one of their mothers. Okay, yeah. more
1: than three miles away. They, they've since been reunited with their families after interviews with investigators. Huh. Yeah, that is... Let me see. When did they... Three people, yeah, uh, three people were shot, plus ten officers and a firefighter were injured. The house was set on fire twice, and an unknown number of others hurt by tear gas and rubber bullets police fired into a scattered crowd. Damn. Um, yeah, I mean, this is
2: like a big... Two 14-year-olds were shot, I guess, in the protests that ensued? Yeah. Uh, yes, because they yeah. were doing vigilantism.
1: So, okay, so, yeah, the way it started, how it unfolded... Um, that around 5 p.m. on the Sunday, the two girls, ages 13 and 15, were last seen in the 2900 block of North 21st Street. They were reported missing four hours later. Uh, then they came, the police responded to North 40th Street to this house on Monday in reference to the report of the missing girls. Uh, MPD call logs show police twice went to the block that night at 10:11 11 p.m. for a, quote, trouble with subject call, and again one hour later for the report of a threat. Police searched the house but did not find the missing girls. Multiple MPD officials said the girls did not fit the criteria for an Amber Alert and they were not labeled as critically missing because police were not given information leading them to believe their lives were in danger. That rankled some members of the public who felt the police were not doing all they could to find the girls. And so on Tuesday mornings, this would have been two days after the girls disappeared, A group of people congregated outside a specific home on the 2100 block after seeing social media posts about the house and the two missing girls. Police were called shortly after 10 a.m. after several people allegedly tried entering the home to look for them. And then a community activist, Vaughn Mays, arrived around the same time About two dozen people were there. Uh, May's was live streaming over Facebook, which got several thousand people uh, watching. He said he went to North 40th Street because a home there had a reputation for housing missing children, and he intended to help find them. Quote, people feel like the police don't do shit. So a lot of this shit is us taking our own shit. It says expletive, I'm assuming he says shit. Uh, So a lot of this shit is us taking our own shit into our own hands. When police, uh, while police searched the home on North 40th Street, Mays and others walked around the neighborhood, knocking on doors and searched the girls. When they returned around 11, police had left the scene and the crowd had grown larger. Police later said the girls were not located there, just as they had not been the night before. Minutes later, members of the crowd began poking around the backyard of the house, and then people were trying to enter the house. Three or four gunshots were then heard. Okay, so he says that people... He's on the live stream saying people are trying to enter the house again. And then three or four gunshots are heard followed by a pause. Then came six more shots. even before the gunshots, Mays repeatedly made remarks about how a potentially chaotic situation was brewing. This house is going to come down, May said. I'm telling y'all it's too many people. Around 11:15 police returned and determined that someone in the house and someone in the crowd had exchanged gunfire, no injuries reported. Over the next several hours, police established a perimeter around the house while the crowd grew in size and tension built. And uh, and then there was uh, another live streamer, poli- anti-police activist, uh, Frank Nitti um, who began his own hours-long live stream. Sounds like a German name. So, I don't know, white guy, maybe? Yeah. But anyways, uh, he can be seen trying to de-escalate things in the video. And... Then the police say, but it's not on the video, that members of the crowd started throwing bricks and pieces of concrete at them. And then around 3.15, the police perimeter vanished, and crowd members can be seen entering the home and breaking windows. One person ran up to Nitty's camera, claiming that a bloody pair of shorts he found in the home was evidence of a child being harmed there. And then riot police showed up at 3.50, and... Apparently, they called for additional backup, but before it could get there, the crowd surrounded the rear of the house and set fire to it, along with a nearby car and a couch. Huh. And then firefighters came at 522, and just at that time, gunshots were fired from the crowd, injuring a boy and girl, both 14 years old. And, huh, interesting. They don't mention at any point, like, what was up with these, like, what was up with that van and those kids. Uh, It doesn't say here in the journal, like... What was that part all about? Seems I guess kind of their an important claim was, was that it was
2: the people who were in the house, ha- like, you know, the residents of the house. I guess that's what the police claim. That I they see weren't it. kids, that they were like the people who lived there, that they were evacuating. This is an article that I read in like you know a while ago that I, I dug up again. Um, that it you know, was something that you know intrigued me in terms of like thinking that there might be something to this. Yeah, this is what had made me think uh, that there had only been one missing girl because it's kind of focused on uh, the mother of one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Celsey Perkins has been reunited with her teenage daughter after the girl was missing for three days earlier this week, but plenty of questions remain. This is you know from June 26, twenty twenty. Her 13-year-old daughter is one of the two that were believed to be spotted on Monday at, house, uh, at a house at 2120 North 40th Street. A crowd gathered at the triplex on Tuesday, and after the police temporarily walked away from guarding the house that evening, someone set fire to it. But Perkins said she was already reunited with her daughter at that point, with her and other missing teenage girl having been found 3.5 miles northeast of the 40th Street house after going missing on Sunday. My daughter said she walked a lot of places. She's saying she's been in this house. She's saying she wasn't in this house. She said she laid down, she woke up, and now she's saying she was never at this address, said Perkins. So to be honest with you, I don't know what's going on with this address. What I do know is there are a lot of children and a lot of parents affiliated with missing parents at the same address. This address was not just pulled up out of thin air. Perkins said her daughter told her she saw members of the Milwaukee Police Department 10 times while she was gone and talked to them once. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters to me is that my daughter is back home, she said. The Milwaukee Police Department did not try to find my daughter and they did not find my daughter, said Perkins. The daughter's aunt, Kim Perkins, was called by an individual that saw girls near 9th, uh, sorry, North 9th Street and West Ring Street, where they were ultimately found on Tuesday afternoon. Police Chief Alfonso Morales was critical of the family on Tuesday night. We have not received the cooperation we expect from the family, he said at a press conference. He has described the scene that emerged as chaos. Perkins said she was not there when things escalated and was focused on finding her daughter. She said her daughter is okay. She's been back home two days already and I'm still exhausted, said Perkins. Perkins addressed the media for approximately two minutes during a press conference held by Vaughn May's Community Task Force MKE organization before walking away. I'm grateful for the people that actually did get out and look for my daughter, she said. Mays said the situation is an example of the broken relationship between the police and the community. That's something that I think that, like, you know, the people who would, like, debunk this and just take the police at their word, like, aren't accounting for. You know, like, mm-hmm. any, but anyway, uh, Mays and the activist Corey words of the community attempted to provide information to the police department, but the police didn't act on it. Search the house, actually do an investigation, you will find what we are talking about, said Mays. But that's no longer possible as both the house and a van parked next to it were destroyed in a fire. The van was destroyed as well. The police department in a statement said it searched the house both Monday and Tuesday before it burned and did not find any evidence that either of the girls were there. The preliminary investigation revealed that no information had been provided to MPD to suggest... That teenagers were at the residence that was set on fire, or that any foul play occurred at that location with the department on Wednesday. The MPD interviewed both teenagers who denied going to or being at the residence and denied meeting or knowing anyone who lived at that residence. There is also no evidence to substantiate that human trafficking occurred at that location. Mays said there was evidence uh, found by those who went into the house that many children were living there, but Mays himself did not accompany those searching the place. If they, the police, would have spoken to the neighbors the same way, they would have known that these things were going on at that location, said Mays. He expressed frustration that the department stepped away from the house, allowing people to ultimately set it on fire. You were there. You could have stopped it, he said to the police. He said he spent much of the day there and put out small fires. But Mays and Kens Perkins both said the house is just one of many in the area that have kids coming and going. Mays said two other boys were found in another house nearby that neighbors told the group to check. Mays said that additional parents and families would be coming forward to tell stories about the North 40th Street home. People come and tell us stuff they wouldn't tell the police, he said. So, hmm. you know, I feel like... There's definitely a a fair amount of like murkiness around that, Uh, whether or not like this, the particular thing that sort of set off these protests and, uh, you know, caused the house to be burned down and like, you know, led to these events, like whether those girls actually were at the house, it seems like it wasn't just like, you know, sort of completely like as the as the mother said, like out of nowhere it seems like that was sort of a known phenomenon in this community. Yeah. a lot And of people, that's sort of why people this house
1: is known for m- being connected to missing children.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's just that's one of reputation many. I have exactly. So it seems like people converged upon that house, like based on sort of past experiences or sort of circulating, uh, views about, about the house. And, Yeah. And I mean, I also, something that I I get is like kind of an unmistakable impression from this, that the police like didn't take it seriously to begin with, that they were kind of dismissive of, I mean, it's not clear if the girls ran away, like maybe they did, you know, who knows like what the circumstances are. It's very unclear, but it seems like, you know, they definitely treated this differently. That I feel like they would have treated something else in a different context. I definitely feel like there might be, like, a little bit of a race uh, component. The, they definitely uh, didn't
1: get the Gabby Petito treatment. No, it they? certainly
2: didn't. I feel like, you know, it's that classic situation where you have, like, a 13-year-old black girl being treated like she's 21 or something, whereas, yeah. like, if a 13-year-old white girl goes missing, you know, that is definitely Amber Alert-worthy. You know, it's not, like, assumed that, like, yeah, well, you just are a bad parent, so, like, she obviously just wandered away. So You know, like, and I also feel like they weren't, like taking what the community said seriously and which is generally dismissive of them and maybe more concerned with, like, you know, protecting something else. I don't know. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm I'm looking at the... uh, Of course, USA Today has a fact-check article uh, debunking (laughs) all of this and said, you know... But it's always interesting when, you know, the, the, tact, the attack they take, when they're trying to debunk. So they say one of the claims was that the mother tracked her missing daughter's phone to a registered sex offender's home, which presumably was this house. And USA Today says, it is not entirely clear how the group ended up at the house. Many of the theories circling online echo this part of the claim. It is unclear if the mother was even at the house that morning or how the house is identified. But the essential part of the piece of the claim is that it was the home of a registered sex offender. It was not. But a review of the Wisconsin Sex Offender Registry revealed no sex offenders listed at the house in question. One registered sex offender, however, was listed as living in a house next door. Okay, so, I mean, there, there there was a registered sex offender literally in the next house, but... I don't know. Um, the, the, another line they debunk is the cops were already there protecting the house. Uh, this line takes nearly all the context out of the situation.
3: <laughs>
1: huh. And okay. apparently, I mean, they found like the owner of the house or the, the renter or whatever. And apparently she was at the hospital giving birth to her baby. Like while all of this was going on and her house got burned down and she lived there with a, I guess her partner, a guy um, and, Like, but somebody shot... I mean, I guess if people are bursting into your house randomly all pissed off, like, trying to hunt pedos, like, maybe you would pull out your gun and shoot at them uh, or something. Yeah, or the police
2: would, you know, if they were there guarding the house at that time.
1: Yeah. So, uh, God, they really don't say that much. They just say, our ruling, false. We rate this claim, all caps, false. Based on our research, the Post spins a series of unfounded allegations into a conspiracy theory that simply does not hold water. (laughs) Well... Um, okay. Uh, but if you know, if you Google Milwaukee sex trafficking, it pops up all these things about like, why is Milwaukee one of the largest sex trafficking hubs in the entire country? You know, like it it kind of does have a reputation. I think there was one NGO that uh, I mean, even if you, yeah, I just typed in Milwaukee sex trafficking. So I see uh, just from 2021. Federal jury finds Milwaukee men guilty of sex trafficking. Two Milwaukee men indicted in sex trafficking conspiracy. Milwaukee sex trafficking epidemic. I guess it's the sixth largest hub of sex trafficking in in the entire U.S. Judge sentences Milwaukee men to to 45 years for sex trafficking. trafficking Yeah, I think I I came across
2: that stat when I was looking into this back in the summer.
1: Yeah, so I mean, if you're listening to the actual people... That live in this neighborhood, they seem to be well aware that there's a problem with this shit in Milwaukee, and the cops,
2: yeah, are in specifically interested.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, like, what? Yeah, what are what are they protecting? Maybe I mean, you know, even if this exact like those girls weren't in this house, and maybe it's just like these random people. I just don't know. I feel like the Like, there was more to it. And I guess we'd have to go back and look at all, like, the Facebook live streams or stuff because there weren't any uh, articles really written about it. Um, They did catch the guy who set the house on fire, a 32-year-old named uh, Joshua Lusk, who I think is now in Mm -hmm. Milwaukee prison. Um, And he got got federally charged for burning the house down, which feels like, I don't know. Like, is that a federal Um, crime to burn down a house? I mean, like, I guess maybe if you,
2: like, you know, really destroy it. Like, I think if you destroy a certain amount of property, maybe, like, I guess there's a way that it could be considered to go up to, like, you know.
1: I, I looked up this house on Zillow, though, and it the, its last, like, appraisal or sale was, I think, in, like, 20... I think it was last sold in 2012, and it was put on the market in, like, 2018, but it didn't sell, and it was it was bought for, like, $13,000, and then now it's worth, like, forty five. So not an expensive house, um, like an old house. I don't know what exactly, you know, what kind of neighborhood uh, is. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the the community, I kind of trust their impulses a little bit, even if they were, you know, wrong um, and just like not trusting. Yeah, I mean, I think that Well,
2: regardless of like these particular girls and like what, what happens to them? Like it seems like that. I don't know. I I wouldn't think that this. Yeah, definitely there is a phenomenon. Even if there was something to this particular house, which I kind of doubt. I almost feel like there must be something to the suspicion of this house.
1: I did see videos of people going into the house and taking pictures and stuff like was they in did there. Seem and defined, I mean, it like could have just stuff, been. Yeah, of I like remember.
2: Like I right.
1: Yeah. it. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, like dirty mattress on the floor, like trash everywhere, like little, you know, I don't know, empty fucking <laughs> packages, you know, like 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 kids toys, like like it It didn't look like a like the greatest kind of situation. And you could definitely uh, spin it that it, maybe it was some kind of like trap house kind of thing going on. I don't well, really that know. That kind I of was, the,
2: I think, the idea the woman like whose house I, it was. I came across this right up, which I think, you know, is just kind of like an independent uh, you know, the medium article type write-up, but uh, you know, it says the media world is constantly on fire with scandalous tales of people like the late billionaire financier, sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein, and more recently, the widespread protests in the wake of the murder of George Floyd have garnered nonstop attention. However, at the intersection of sexual violence near the heart of power and police reform slash abolition is a little big story that has only been covered by local news as of now. If you turn on CNN, I'm sure you'll get analysis of the president's latest tweets instead of the horror that broke to the surface of Milwaukee on June 23rd. For those of us not currently in Milwaukee, including myself, last day came as an incredible shock. According to sources following the case in social media, it seems that the coalition of community members uncovered a set of homes at 40th and Lloyd that were trafficking missing black children, apparently at the behest of both the church, local police, and registered sex offenders. The strange story does not end or begin there. Something truly sinister is happening, and this is only a fragment. The massive story begins with an unfortunately common incident a young black child went missing on Sunday, June 21st. This was not the first... Uh, Nor this was an isolated incident, as other families began to suspect that someone was behind this. According to a tweet by someone following the case, the parents had contacted authorities who had stonewalled, saying that the child was not endangered. As a result, no amber alert was ever issued for what became two children missing. On Tuesday, June 23rd, the mother of one of the missing girls was able to ping the cell phone of one of the missing girls to a two-story townhouse in Milwaukee. So that was debunked in the article that you found, Uh, right? Like you had said that that was not true. But well, it it
1: said that it said that it said it was debunked that there wasn't a sex offender registered person living at that address. But it said that was what the claim was. Did they say the cell phone? actually yeah. The way it's worded is kind of.
2: I, I heard, was that?
1: Yeah, let me let, let me look at that real quick because that might be a sneaky little, like, dodge um, of talking about, yeah. well, did she ping the, you know, the cell phone? Um, let me see. Where is, where did it go? The house is set on fire. Okay, piece by piece. They're caught on camera. Yeah, a mother... Yeah. So it, it, what it says is that mm-hmm. it's unclear. So it's a yeah, the, the quote their claim. You know the quote they're testing is a mother tracked her missing daughter's phone <laughs> to a registered sex offender's home. It is, and they say it, it is not entirely clear how the group ended up at the house. And many of the they do that thing you love where they, yeah. they hyperlink every single right. word in the sentence. So it's a, many of the <laughs> theories circling online echo this part of the claim. And so I haven't looked at all of those, but uh, it says it is unclear if the mother was even at the house that morning or how the house was identified. But the essential part of this piece of the uh, of the claim is that it was the home of a registered sex offender. It was all the more reason to be suspicious,
2: because if it was not the home of a registered sex offender, then like, why does it have this sinister reputation? Because you could almost say that if a registered sex offender lived there then it could be, like, an urban myth, you know, it could spiral out into an urban myth that, like, oh, you know, this is a trafficking hub. But if it's n- not, like, why would it acquire that association? It almost seems like requiring more of an explanation. Well,
1: but the, Yeah, I know, you're right.
2: Well, because other people said yeah, this place exactly. is
1: known. And so... So, you know, they say here this is this is really the downfall of the fact checkers. Here, they say a review of the Wisconsin sex offender registry revealed no sex offenders listed at the house in question. One registered sex offender, however, was listed as living in a house next door. So, they're kind of like obfuscating this a little. Right. They're mixing a couple of things together and then just saying it's all false. But what it sounds like, and is according that
2: to this article, it was it, a, like a series of un- homes, a set of homes at 40th and Lloyd. So not, you know, just one particular home, a set of them.
1: Okay, yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense, especially because these homes are, like, $40,000. Like, they're very cheap. They could be owned by the same property manager or something. I'm looking at it right now. There really is, like, there's kind of just one house on the other side of it, which must be where the sex offender lived. But they're kind of, yeah, they're kind of crossing the wires there because they're saying it's unclear. They're basically saying they can't debunk that the mother looked up on her phone and saw the location basically on this block yeah. and you know how gps is it doesn't always accurately yeah i've never used
2: find my phone but so it maybe seems like it would be something that would not be super precise
1: yeah no it's like that i mean especially if your house is like yeah. a little far away from the street like it can get kind of fucked up so so either way like what what they're holding up there is like she looked up she saw the phone little dot on this house, and then, like, looked up whether or not there were sex offenders living there and found out that there were, and, but that's not true. So that whole, so this whole story must, that yeah, whole that's part of the story really, must be made up the, by the, I hate it but, when they go in but, with, like,
2: a foregone conclusion, and then, like, they are yeah. able to, like, slightly correct one aspect of it, like, it reminds me of that thing on Snope about yes. the, uh, like, Douglas MacArthur giving a speech about how in the future we would fight aliens, like, at West Point in a certain year. And they're, like, oh yeah. absolutely, uh-huh. unca- like, you know, categorically, unequivocally false. Uh, he gave a speech saying that at West Point, and he gave yeah. a speech at, in this year, but not at West Point in this year. False, debunked, you know, like, well... <laughs>
1: But he did give a speech exactly twice actually
2: wars. once in that year and once yeah. at west point but not both so that it's debunked false wow. wrong so, mm, like sorry. 100 pinocchios sorry, false. you know like
1: <laughs> that's amazing though so i mean it sounds like that there's all kinds of possibilities of what could have happened where maybe she did do find my phone and it went to this house and then maybe because this as other people said, this house has a reputation in the community for being fucking sus, people said, oh, that's like a sus sex trafficking house. And so that's what got maybe mistranslated into, we we know that a sex offender lives there, yeah. like a registered sex offender, instead of like, this is a sus like house full of, who knows, like druggies or pedos or, you know, something weird is going on there. It has a reputation. So in that sense, like it, it would make a lot of sense how a lot of people in the community, if they heard that, oh my God, like her phone was pinged to this house that's like sus and notorious that hey there that would kick everything off but then you know USA Today comes in and they're like, well, actually, like technically it and also the fact that there is like a registered sex offender next door, who knows maybe that maybe it pinged to, I don't know, but then I guess they would have burned down well, the, the house and store. But clearly, this place this had what a reputation. This this article already. in the
2: Milwaukee Independent that I've been reading from—you know, a syndicated article in the Milwaukee Independent—continues uh, to say. So, after uh, you know that whole thing about pinging the phone, um, it, uh, it goes on to say, like you know, uh, the child was not in danger, blah, blah blah. So, the mother, along with several others, went to the property in addition to calling police, who ignored them for ten hours. An attempted entry was made, and someone from within the house shot the group. So I guess it wasn't a police officer. I mean, I guess it could have been because they were forewarned, uh, and they (laughs) apparently just ignored them. (laughs) They were
1: forewarned. Wait, okay, wait. So that's kind of a big detail, that the mother was part of the group that was trying to break into the house first and got um, shot Yeah,
2: at. according to this... That seems pretty um, significant. You know, again, they say, like, it's unclear if she actually went there, but according to this write-up, she, she did go there. Or, you know, one of the mothers did. So the shots got a quicker yeah. response than the phone call, and police then arrive at the scene, they say. Uh, the people within the home were taken into custody immediately after the report from people on the ground starts to diverge from the police and media narrative. After the arrests were made, a crowd began to form at 40th and Lloyd and cops began to circle the original location, as well as a second location that was deemed to be connected. That's probably their house. Many social media posts and live (sighs) streams began to spring up. During this time, a search party of people recovered the two girls from the location. So that was like a different location, apparently, that they were at. They weren't necessarily uh, at this one. But the pictures and videos that were recovered by the search party were heartbreaking. While inside, several unknown people were taken into custody anonymously via tarps and placed into an unmarked van. I think that's what you were describing in the video. uh, The police claimed the owner of the property escaped, and yet people on the ground claimed that he had fled to the van parked in the second property. Sometime after, protesters noticed a fire in the second location as well as in the van. While police claimed the protesters started the fire, people on the ground had not yet entered the van or second property, where police were first on the scene. The, in an attempt to salvage evidence, people entered the home and found several documents already burned near the center of the blaze. Some papers were recovered, including what was allegedly, since the document has not been released, a schedule of what time the girls were solicited out. The names of someone, sorry, the name of someone who was connected to the operation. It is believed that the name was of the property owner, Mike Barch, a disaster recovery specialist who had been working as a spiritual leader for children at local youth camps. This person serves as a senior board member of the group and has been working with them as far back as 2014, though he does have other ties to local Lutheran groups. Another identity recovered was the name of Roderick Bowie, a registered sex offender who had apparently been in repeated contact with the trafficked people. There were 20 missing children suspected of having been sent through that home, according to people familiar with the area. One girl was found nearby in October, and police had apparently refused to investigate further out of a lack of evidence, even though bloody clothes have been found in the area. The home has been politely scrubbed by their former reta- realtor in an attempt to further obfuscate this tangled web, though online archives were available. A short time later, riot cops came to the location and began attacking people who were stationed us at this area. Despite overwhelming evidence that there was a trafficking organization, the police shot rubber bullets and tear gas at the people attempting to investigate. Due to the infinite compassion of the people there, no officers were harmed, and firefighters began to put out the blaze as people drew back. Finally, the media began to arrive with the helicopters to survey the area. The first write-up about the story to appear online came from the local ABC station. The article was only 18 sentences long and repeated nearly verbatim what the police had said. For the 20 or more black children, they got less than a sentence each for their stories. Their names and families will be plastered all over local news forever, and yet not a single breath was given to the people behind the trafficking operation. Out of respect for the little black girls whose lives will be forever changed by this ordeal in numerous ways, I refuse to print their names to make them part of the spectacle. As for the Milwaukee PD, their first media soundbite was that, We have not confirmed that the girls were found because they said they have not been contacted. Police Chief Alfonso Morales claimed that no evidence of trafficking had been found and that the unruly mob will be investigated as well. In a theater world where black bodies murdered by police are constantly on display, this brief peep show into the dark underbelly of a trauma cabaret shows that police are, at best, not on the side of communities they claim to protect. They may also be actively serving interests directly against the towns that their badges empower them to protect. Eh, maybe. I mean, certainly, I wouldn't dismiss any of that at all.
1: Right? That was a very different yeah. telling of that story, just with little switches in the deal. What was the guy's name? Mike Barch? Uh, yeah, Barch I think so.
2: Barge was definitely the last name. Uh, Sent- yeah. Send
1: me that article. What the fuck? He owns... So he owned... He was a landlord of that building that um, got burned yeah, down. Yeah,
2: apparently. Well, he was apparently one of the names that was found inside, oh. uh, like on a list or something. It's on... Like, yeah, Roderick that's Bowie, kind of what they indicated. I'll post it in the offender. chat.
1: So I think they must be... Maybe are they talking about the house next door?
2: They definitely were talking about the house next when they door, the but second the one that was lit on fire was the one they went into where they recovered this... Information, including the name of that guy, really, and the other one. Holy shit! According, to, you know.
1: I mean, yeah. Not the th- not the thing you want to just no. dismiss out of hand as oh, this is ridiculous. You know, as far as I mean, can tell, what there's what nothing of to it. Is going on. Man.
2: Um.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows what kind of dark secrets are being? I kept mean, yeah. When, when you're not like on the ground it's...
2: and you're at a remove, like you can only you know, go by, you can only choose what narrative to go by when there are competing ones. And in this case, it does seem like stories diverge dramatically, you know. It kind of, you know, it reminds me of, like, those early stories where, like, Sufi leaders or marabouts who would be enslaved in uh, the Americas, you know, they would perform sort of rituals uh, to try to help the people that they were captured with. Uh, to escape back to Africa, and so the sort of legends started to circulate of like these, you know, sinister dervishes like leading slaves into into the river, and where they would drown, you know, uh, telling them that they were going to escape, but actually they would be uh, going to the river, and uh, you know, people sort of are find that to be, like, an appealing story in a certain way, or they, they think it's interesting that, like, you know, they committed suicide as an act of resistance. But really, like, if you think about it, what seems to have happened is that, like, the slave masters, like, perpetuated the suicide version to, like, scare people away from those type of, of leaders, those type of movements, you know, to say, like, that actually what's going to happen is you're going to end up dead. And these people are going to lead you to your death, not to escape. Uh, oh, like
1: Jonestown, like Jonestown. Well,
2: <laughs> I think in the right? case of Jonestown, you shouldn't necessarily have trusted Jim Jones, but um, you know, there's sure. there's clearly like a black version and a white version. The black narrative of escape and the white well, narrative yeah, yeah. of death and and suicide, and you kind of. Well, I mean, I, I
1: mean Jim Jones in the sense of like. I mean, the sense of, like, Jim Jones, like, reinforcing that thing oh, that yeah, slave owners exactly. like yeah, to tell yeah, yeah. you. That, like, this is what happens if you follow exactly, a charismatic yeah. leader who wants mm-hmm. to liberate you. Of That's course, what happens like, if you're genuine. a leftist. Also, you
2: end up drinking Kool-Aid yeah. and dying. Yeah.
1: yeah, <clears throat> Supporting Assad mm-hmm. and uh, drinking Kool-Aid and dying. The last thing I'll say about Milwaukee is that, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably have to do a whole ep on him one day, but... The Jeffrey Dahmer case, I remember there was some pretty sketchy, weird fucking things going on with that, particularly with the police department. Wasn't there a victim of Jeffrey Dahmer who, like, escaped from his apartment and, like, ran out in the middle of the street? Like, I don't know if he's naked or something, but real horror movie shit, like, screaming and, like, ran up to a cop. This sounds vaguely familiar. And was like, help me, I'm being, like, held captive by this guy, and the cop's, like gave him back to Jeffrey. Jeffrey Dahmer is like, oh, he's just like drunk or something. I think we remember this. It and might just be like, because oh, they're like, okay, you can go, you this, can go back and then he but, killed them.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: Let me see. Yeah. Yeah. The, the John Balch, uh, okay. John Balchrak or, or Bal- sorry, I'm getting my Polish wrong, but John Balchrak, um, or Balserzak uh, it was the president of the Milwaukee police association. Um, he and Joseph T. Gabrish first came national attention in 1991 when they were fired for having handed over an injured child to serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer despite bystanders' protests. Okay, so there's, like, fucking precedent here for, like, there's a child that like, in a dangerous situation there's, like, bystanders being, like, don't give the child back to Jeffrey Dahmer and the cops are like, nah. So, the two cops got fired but they did appeal their termination and were subsequently re- reinstated with a back pay of $55,000 each by a a local judge. So, yeah, there were three women discovered the victim, 14-year-old Conorak Synthesymphone, after he managed to escape from Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment, naked, bruised, bleeding from his buttocks area, and heavily under the influence of drugs. Childers called 911. A fire department ambulance was sent. Balcerzak, Gabrish, and Perubkun. Why does everyone in this name have, like, a strange, like, ethnically ambiguous name. Oh, he was Laotian. Okay, never mind. Take that back. Um, but even Perubkin, like, what What kind of name is that? Anyways, the fire department of ambulance arrived at the scene first. An ambulance personnel thought Conorak needed treatment, but the medical team was sent away by the officers. Though the Laotian immigrant had been in the country for ten years and spoke English fluently, in his drugged and brain-injured state, Conorak was unable to communicate his situation to the authorities or to the three women. Dahmer convinced the police that the boy wow. was his 19 year old lover against the protests of the three women. Smith recognized the boy from the neighborhood, and the three women reiterated their concerns to the officers, but were told to quote, shut the hell up by the officers, who seemingly believed the incident to be a domestic dispute. The three officers returned Conorak to Dahmer's apartment. Balcerzak said he smelled nothing unusual, but Gabber said he did detect an odor reminiscent of excrement, which emanated from the decaying corpse of a previous victim in the bedroom, but made no attempt to investigate. The officers listed the incident as a, quote, domestic squabble between homosexuals. Within an hour after they left, Dahmer murdered, performed oral sex on the corpse, and dismembered the boy. Later, for Synthesum Phones murder, as well as 16 others from 78 to 91... Dahmer would serve 15 consecutive terms of life imprisonment and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, there was a a big scandal about these cops doing that. Um, There was a released audio tape of the officers making homophobic statements to their dispatcher and cracking jokes about having reunited the, quote, lovers. The officers did not check Dahmer's identification. Had they done so, they would have discovered that Dahmer was a sex offender previously convicted for molesting Synthesimphone's older brother, who was 13 at the time in 1988, the city of Milwaukee later paid the boys family a sum of $850,000. And now he is the president of, uh, let me see, or he was the, he, he, this guy later became the president of the Milwaukee police union from 2005 to 2009. um, And in addition to being um, reinstated. So like that's the background that we're talking about here of like the city as like there's a there's a dirty legacy with the cops, particularly in Milwaukee, of literally, you know, handing oh, over yeah. a, like even like, drugged, bleeding, naked, like teenager. Well, yeah, even beyond the level one of the most of notorious like, serial killers of the last theory, like, thirty years. There
2: is uh the faceless maw of the fact that they don't give a shit like about certain people. Like it's definitely true. Like, yeah. Well, you can definitely see the pattern, yeah, like, so even in the mainstream in the reporting, 80s, like, they yeah, don't take it yeah, seriously, yeah, they don't care, they're, like, dismissive, and they assume that it's bullshit, you know, um,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely, so, you know, we just gotta stay vigilant and believe the people. There's a mob. <laughs> like you know we're so it, everything's it's a witch hunt mob phobic now you know like angry mob phobic I'm not saying like go out with your pitchforks yeah it's like it's a witch hunt that's literally kind of what they're saying like that, you know I, I don't know I mean apparently this woman who is literally in the hospital giving birth to a baby you know when her house was burned down you know maybe that's just what the story is and this angry mob was out of control etc cetera, etc cetera. but the. The last source you read of that narrative sounds like they had very good reason to suspect that' you uh, know, something they really certainly fucked didn't seem was happening Vapen, level crazy, and
2: it seems to be sure, heavily corroborated are? by a lot of people, like maybe they're wrong about certain right? things, but it does definitely seem like there's yeah. something to it. And the phenomenon of Milwaukee, as you said, as like a trafficking hub is definitely true. Uh, so
1: Yep, exactly. So don't be, don't be so quick to dismiss y'all. Let's not, let's be, you know, let's, uh, You know what's
2: interesting? <laughs> what? I found, I was looking up Mike Barsh, just trying to see if I could find anything else about him. And I found this other article dealing with a fire at Mike Barsh from 2018, it says, heating tools on scaffolding may have ignited the roof of historic Milwaukee Church. The blaze what? destroyed Milwaukee's historic Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, may have been started by heating tools that had been placed in adjacent scaffolding and ignited the roof, a Milwaukee Fire Department official said Wednesday. Milwaukee Deputy Fire Chief Dave Vostis said that that was the working theory, but Fire Chief Mark Ruffling stressed at a news conference later that the investigation is ongoing. We know there were roofers there, and they had equipment, and we know it started in the roof. I'll just try to get to the part so we can move on where, where Mike Barsh uh, comes in. Oh, I finally got his um, name spelling
1: right. Oh, my God. I'm seeing you know, some stuff here.
2: Which comes in to talk about um, his uh, his feeling for the Lutheran church.
1: Burned home had 27 police service calls. I'm seeing here from oh, UrbanMilwaukee.com. Yeah, I saw that as well.
2: Yeah. yeah, it didn't seem like it was... You know, it seemed like most of them were from those past few days. The calls. It says twenty-seven uh,
1: times in four years.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> but they were mostly like for you know not what you would like necessarily associate with like sex trafficking. Like there was some that were like truancy, something like that, domestic concerns. So maybe
1: there was a community organizer named Frank Nitty who said. Before we came out of here, there were nine kids missing. After we came out of here, four kids were returned, said Frank Niddy, narrating a live video on Facebook from the scene. But the number of kids returned might only be two. Okay. Well, okay. The, the triplex at 2120. Let's see. The calls, most of which took place in 2019, including everything from, quote, family trouble and welfare check to shots fired and battery domestic violence. Other calls were for property damage, a stolen vehicle, two traffic stops in front of the phone, uh, in front of the home, and a truancy check. At least three of the calls were initiated by the city's automated shot spotter system, which triangulates the sounds of gunfire and automatically generates a call for service. Uh, in nine of the cases, the department listed the status as unable to locate complainant. Hmm. Interesting. He, does, yeah, he the, the Morales press? the Cobb did say at a press conference there were people removed from the resident, but of course it was uh, it was just the residents. Even though one of them was in the hospital giving birth to a baby, so like how many other people lived there? So the company that owns it is Forty Street Twenty One Twenty LLC, which lists Michael Barch as its registered agent. Yeah, it's uh, it's listed for it was listed for sale for forty two thousand nine hundred. He owns at least two. Oh yeah, there's a call log here. I see. Yeah, trouble with suspect. So I don't know. It's like a lot of, yeah, battery domestic violence. There's like three, four, five. I mean, he might just be. I don't know. Term like a slumlord kind of thing, but but this guy he he owns like a disaster management company.
2: Yes, he's right? a disaster recovery specialist. My computer's bugging out. And everything. Oh yeah, so yeah. Like yeah. I noticed trouble, my uh, like in terms
1: of yeah, I'm not sure.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah Barch Management LLC and, and Roderick Bowie. Don't know what his. There's a lot of stuff on Trellis about Roderick Bowie, Fresno, Santa Clara. Not sure what that is, but anyways, um, it's a dark rabbit hole. That you see, it was a youth minister.
2: Yeah, he was uh, a part-time WELS pastor at Cavalry Lutheran Church. They said he had more uh, substantive connections to like children's programs on that.
1: Uh, Milwaukee Independent
2: article, company. but yeah, he's a disaster recovery specialist, and this, yeah. This article did have an interesting paragraph about him. But like, now it's like bro-
1: damage, restoration, and cleaning like... services. Okay, uh, um, I mean not not to cast any reckless, uh, you know, <laughs> accusations at anybody, but it he owns like a or he works for a cleaning service like company. Like if you needed somebody to totally clean a house of any like evidence um, or a damaged house or something. Maybe that's totally normal. Well, yeah, it's
2: odd that he also came out, like, to this uh, burned church to, like, lend support to the Lutheran community. Oh, okay, so he he uh, wasn't involved in the burning of the church
1: itself, just...
2: Well, it was unclear what was, like, you know, again, I want to read this portion from the article, but, like... All right. of a sudden oh, I, it's like see. I see. giving me fucking trouble like loading, but it, maybe when it's it does, ironic that he no. works
1: for ServePro, uh, but like his house got burned down cuz they they uh they specialize in fire damage restoration. Wow, the you know what their ad is when you type it in on Google? Like it never even what? happened. ServePro Restoration <laughs> Services.
2: That's quite something. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, they're a nat- nationwide yeah, I company. I can find us on a
2: different source. It says, all right, I finally found at least an excerpt of it. Uh, the acrid smell of smoke hung in the air as on the gathered to mourn what had been the spiritual home to generations of the faithful in Milwaukee's Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm here out of the love for, of the Lutheran Church and its history, said the Reverend Mike Barsh, a disaster recovery specialist and part-time, you know, pastor, uh, W-E-L-S pastor mm-hmm. at Cavalry Lutheran Church. A WELS congregation on Milwaukee's north side. The Blaze of destroyed Milwaukee's historical church, church appears to have been started by heating tools that have been placed on adjacent scaffolding and under the roof. Estimated damage is 13 million with an additional 4 million in damage to its contents. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Just interesting that happens to be like one of the hits you get from Mike Barsh. Maybe it's because people were kind of trying to find like suspicious things with him, so that's why you yeah. know it comes up associated with his and name and you know landlords be doing shady
1: things all the time so you know, yeah it's kind of par for like, to be expected odd. to some degree but still extremely odd shit going on there
2: yeah yeah definitely worth delving into further yeah So, Lukman asks, any thoughts or interesting traditions you've encountered about Khidr, especially interested in how he might connect to traditions of an immortal green man in other cultures? I mean, that's true. Like, the idea of an immortal green man is a pretty transcultural thing. Uh, for whatever reason, there definitely is. Um, I guess maybe it's because the idea of greenness mean, has a sense of life, you know, like uh, plants that are alive are green. So maybe there's an okay. association between greenness and, and immortality. People who don't know. Yeah, uh, could you enlighten
1: uh, who, the, the yeah. goofs like myself out there who don't know what Khidr is?
2: Uh, Khidr is basically a, his name means the green, pretty much, like Al Khidr. Uh, is what people um you know might call him or just hitter. Um he's seen as like being a prophet um in Islam, but it's like kind of it's kind of a nebulous figure. There's a passage in the Quran, um I forget exactly what surah it's in, but it's very famous. Um and in that he's referred to as a servant of God. And he basically has kind of a uh interaction with Musa. But Well, you know, he's not called Qudr in this part of the Qur'an, but he, uh, you know, people tend to read, uh, Islamic exegetes tend to read this character, uh, the servant of God in this portion of the Qur'an as being Qudr. And uh, basically what happens in that part of the Qur'an is that Musa sort of has like an apprenticeship with this servant of God and he instructs him, you know, like whatever you see me do, uh, you have to be patient. You know, you had to forbear and be patient with me. And Musa sees him do, like, all sorts of uh, shit that seems, like, incredibly... It's kind of, like, the pro- about the problem of evil in a way, because Musa sees him do all the stuff that seems, like, totally, you know, uh, out of pocket, uh, if you will. You know, like, for it's. I'm trying to think of the exact things that he does. I know that he sinks a ship, like, he causes a ship to sink, and he, oh. like, kills, like, a kid or something. You know, Damn. like, he... Uh, you know kills like uh someone's son I'm trying to find the exact passage from the from the Quran so I can like read a version of it
1: um like like for no reason,
2: well, you know that's what Musa is like all upset about, you know he's like, and this is basically like it's kind of a permutation of the Abraham and Isaac story, you know it's like uh um and Musa,
1: just to clarify, like is that the Islamic name for Moses?
2: Yes, that's Moses. okay, gotcha, um okay. yeah. So Moses um pretty much is slash Musa is like kind of uh each time it kind of escalates the different things that uh he's doing. Um I'm trying to see if there's like uh what chapters and I'm trying to eh, I'm getting like paraphrases of it, but I'm not finding the actual thing, blah blah. All right, well here's like a version. Yeah, this is uh blah blah you know Moses said to him may I follow you so that you may teach me something of the truth which you have been taught um, let's see yeah, and he keeps telling him you know bear with me be patient um, so yeah they uh, they set forth and he made a hole in the boat uh, in a boat and he said uh, have you made a hole to drown those who are in it verily you have done a dreadful thing uh, and Chir, or the servant of God answered did I not tell you that you will uh, not be able to bear with me or be patient with me and uh, Musa said, uh, do not be angry with me for my forgetfulness and pardon me for my fault. So he keeps doing these kind of things. And, you know, Khirr has told him, like, you won't be able to put up with, uh, you know, being like following me and looking, uh, you know, sort of being apprentice to me to try to learn uh, this higher truth of this, this higher knowledge. Yeah. It's a very strange passage of the Quran cause it sort of uh, begins with this weird part about a fish. Like okay. this is before any of the story happens. This part is like, you know, very bizarre and kind of must have some kind of esoteric meaning uh, and people wrangle a lot over exactly what this is all about. But uh, you know, uh, Moses said unto his servant, uh, I will not give up until I reach the point where the two rivers meet though I spend years and years in travel. So he was kind of on this quest trying to find, uh, you know, greater knowledge. And uh, he reached the point where the two rivers meet, and they forgot their fish. And it took its way into the water, swimming at will. When they had gone further, Moses said unto his servant, Bring us our meal. Truly we are worn out with traveling. The servant replied, Did you see what happened when we were resting on the rock? I forgot the fish, and none but Satan made me forget to mention this to you. The fish made its way into the sea in a miraculous fashion. Moses said to him, this is what we have been seeking. So they got to like a point where, you know, he mentions Satan, but it's not the power of Satan that makes the fish come to life. It's, he's blaming Satan for making him forget to mention Moses' uh, servant. And okay. uh, that's Moses' servant, not Hiddur, the servant of God. Uh, so this is someone who he's journeying with. And they're in search of Kidder at the beginning. And so, you know, I've kind of told the story totally out of order, but I remember this part that, like, is kind of interesting. So when they get to the point where they think they might find Kitter, this fish that they have, like, prepared to eat, like, comes to life and jumps into the water. So they've crossed, like, this weird threshold where they're kind of in this liminal domain where, like, you know, they're kind of in the... Maybe the Tir-Nanag, you know, like the to go okay. off of Lukman's sort of suggestion of a parallel between Khadir and uh, sort of green man type figures and other mythologies. You know, they've yeah. gotten into this sort of uh, different sort of space where they've crossed some kind of threshold where mm. somehow the, this dead fish has, has been returned to life. So, yeah, then what I said happens, you know, uh, uh, Moses says, like, may I follow you so that you may teach me something of the truth which you have been taught and Hutter's like, you're not going to be able to deal with it, you won't be able to be patient and uh, Musa says, like, if Allah wills, you will find me patient and I won't disobey you in anything, but of course he's not able to do that because, like, you know, he sees him, like, drill a hole in this boat and he's like, why did you do that? Uh, What's your problem? But then he says like, you gotta be patient Um, Trust the plan Yeah, trust the plan, exactly, and then he goes to the point where they find a young guy and Hutter just, like, kills him or you know the servant of God who's equated with Kitter generally, um, and mo- in the exegetical tradition, not in the Quran itself. Like Kitter isn't mentioned in this portion, but people read this as being Kitter. So, like the, in in the Quran, and Moses says, "You have killed an innocent man who has done no harm. Surely you have done a wicked thing." And Kitter is like, you know, I didn't. I told you you wouldn't be able to bear with me. And then you know they go to another city and they ask people for some food, but they decline to receive them as guests. They found a uh, wall on the point of falling down and, um, you know, uh, Kidder just repairs it. And Moses says, well, if you wanted to, you could have demanded payment for your labor of fixing the wall. And uh, Kidder is like, all right, I'm done with you. Like, now is the time <laughs> when we must part. Like, um, and so then Ouch. he basically explains everything. Um, And he says, like, you know, as for the boat, it belonged to poor people working on the sea. I damaged it because there was a certain king after them who was taking every ship by force. So basically, by sinking the ship, he saved them from, like, getting, you know... uh, like pirated by the wicked king. Uh, wow. And then wow. this is like not necessarily a satisfactory explanation to like contemporary listeners, but you know, as for the youth, his parents are true believers and we feared that he would grieve them with his wickedness and unbelief. And it was our desire that their Lord should grant them another son in his place, more righteous and closer in affection. So again, wow. not he's saying you should satanic like, satanic
1: fail son. You should murder your satanic fail son.
0: No, you
2: or should not murder your satanic fail son because Kiddur is operating at a different level. You know, he's not a human being. He's a He's on some kind of other level, you know? So, like, in the same All way right. that, like, people are like, Ugh, like, if God real, why bad things happen? You know, <laughs> like, that's kind of what the point is, you know? Like, why did the tsunami kill, like, my evil satanic son? You know, like, or something like that. Uh, yeah, the cosmic like,
1: balance is complicated.
2: He's represent, yeah, he's a representation of, like, God's cotter in a way, you know? I see. Uh, I see. But, you know, Interesting. And then he says, uh, as for the wall, it belonged to two orphan boys in the city whose father was an honest man. Beneath the wall, their treasure is buried. Your lord desired that they dig out their treasure when they grew to manhood. I did not do it of my own accord. Such is the interpretation of those things which you were unable to watch with patience. Wow. So, there you, you know, he's a representation of, like, everything. Basically, Khidr like, in the broader Islamic tradition, like, stands in for, like everything esoteric, like everything hidden, you know, like a lot of the time, the divine mystery. Yeah. A lot kind of, of the time, like Sufi figures actually will say like, Oh, you know, I was taught these esoteric sciences by Kidder himself. You know, he was revealed to me like in this way. Uh, anyone, there's one.
1: Hmm, yeah. Has anyone ever thought if Kidder is a,
2: uh, reptoid? Um, no one's ever suggested that he's a reptoid because he's green. Just thought I'd put it out there. Yeah. I mean, he might be a leprechaun.
1: Well, they wear green, but they aren't green themselves. Well, Hitter
2: isn't necessarily supposed to be green. He might just be wearing green. It's, you know, uh, hmm, the green man who you'd associate him with, you know, uh, who many, you know, would, would compare him to because uh, he has certain attributes in common. Like, he is green. He's, like, a vegetable man. But Hitter, I think, is just, like, a man who wears green, usually. Okay. But he so might have, like, he, a green tint to his skin in some renditions. Ethical but usually... Yeah, if usually you see, a, a like, a depiction of Kidder, it's just, like, a dude wearing green. Um, he's not, like, green in his face, but, you know, okay. he's known as the green. Okay. Uh, oh, you know, there's a movie that recently came out, The Green Knight, right? Um, uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. You, you didn't hear about that? The Green Knight with Dev Patel? Uh, oh, that sounds a little. Familiar. It was like an A twenty four movie, you know. Uh, it just well, came out. Uh, uh, it's I'm an adaptation, it. uh, yeah. Uh, it's an adaptation of like actually like an older uh, poem, based on I assume like an older tradition. Uh, where, um, and I saw the movie, but I, I wasn't really, honestly, too impressed by it. Like it was, I like there was a CGI fox that didn't really look very good. <laughs> like that was a big, you know, fixture <laughs> of the movie. And like they kind of like you know, I thought it would have been like more interesting and like more mysterious and disturbing if they kind of cleaved a bit more closely to the actual story but the story kind of actually has similar characteristics to that story from the quran where gawain is one of king arthur's knights right and they're all like chilling in uh the like you know around the round table or whatever on christmas and this random like knight who's like totally green like a green man basically like a vegetable man shows Mm -hmm. up And the depiction of the green knight in the movie actually does seem to be pretty accurate, you know, uh, to the, the poem and the tradition. And, uh, he shows up and he's like, you know, let's play a game. Like, uh, you know, whoever, like I, uh, you know, someone gets to strike me with one blow, but then I get to strike him the same way, whatever he did to me a year later, um, or a year and a day later, something like that. And, Sir Gawain who's like you know pretty brave as the knights go he jumps up and he's like I'll do it and then he just like cuts off this knight's head in one blow but then the knight picks up his head and is like all right so in a year I'll do the same thing to you bye and he's like oh shit and uh, then you know he's on a journey and he comes to this house and he finds like a man and his wife and it's like this weird like kind of like sexual situation where like he makes some kind of deal with the, the proprietor of the house, like the, the, the Lord of the house. Uh, again, I'm just recounting this from memory. So I apologize if there's any kind of, uh, you know, problems with it, but he makes some kind of, uh, or errors in, in my recounting, but I think I'm pretty much right. He makes some kind of deal with the Lord of the house where like a, the Lord of the house will hunt every day and he'll bring whatever he catches of his hunt. Like he'll share that with, uh, Gawain, but whatever Gawain gets at home in his house, he has to share with the Lord of the house when he comes back. And so like the, um, the wife of the guy, like actually like kind of like seduces him and like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, is like trying to kind of like, you know, uh, or, well, I don't know if she like fully seduces him, but she kind of like, uh, she gives him a kiss at least. And I remember that Gawain has to kiss the guy, which is, you know, actually something that's like Kinky. cut from the movie. It's interesting. Really? Cause like, you'd think Respect like in this back? day and age, yeah, yeah it's, it was, it struck me as odd because, like, in the movie, like, Dev Patel is like, Ugh! like, you know, the man even says, like, you know, you received a kiss, like, you know, you, uh, like, uh, and he, like, forces Dev Patel to kiss him or something, but in the, in the actual poem, like, Sir Gawain is just, like, all right, I'm just gonna give this guy a kiss, you know, like, it's the, you know, nor- <laughs> so it's actually it was more woke in, Whoa. like, you know, whatever hmm, it was written, like, uh late medieval times or something. Yeah, um yeah. But, anyway, so then, like, the, um, the wife eventually gives Gawain like a magical garter or something like some kind of belt that protects him from dying, basically that will like save him from getting killed by the green knight. And sir Gawain is like, Oh, I can't, he can't bear to share that or give that up to the guy. So he, you know, just uh, keeps it and conceals that he received it from him. So then he goes to meet the green knight and the green knight, you know uh, goes to swipe his head off but it ends up just making like a slight little cut in his throat Hmm. and the green knight reveals himself as of course you know the lord of the manor was the green knight all along in disguise and the whole thing was an elaborate test and he's like you're the most righteous knight but like the one little cut that i made in your throat that's for the fact that you hid that magical belt from me like other than that, like you're very upright and righteous, uh, but because you committed that tiny little sin, you get this slight cut in your throat, and okay. yeah. So, well, but you can see how actually some of the themes are similar, like the idea of the yeah. immortal green man, like the test of like patience, even like the threefold repetition that happens. You know, because yeah. I yeah. I remember in the house, you know, the wife gives him three things, he has to return three things. You know, they almost so the
1: threesome sounds like.
2: Not well, really. I feel like that would be more something that would happen in the A24 movie, but still didn't <laughs> yeah. really happen in a that movie. missed opportunity, um, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there definitely is, like, a, I mean, it's just because uh, Hitter is a real phenomenon, you know, like, people kind of look uh, into these things. They try to find some kind of, like, sociological explanation, and I'm sure that you could construct one, why that like there's a consistent idea of some kind of immortal green figure uh, that has some sort of... Uh, Profound esoteric knowledge across different world traditions, but maybe there is just like some kind of deathless uh, liminal green being who like can only be accessed by like the the most spiritually enlightened and has a unique relationship with God. It's possible, you know. So Um, uh, yeah,
1: I'm just gonna say no investigation, no right to speak. Yeah, no investigation, no right to to speak. Yeah,
2: no. There's, I mean, we really could do like a whole hitter episode because there's really so many. Interesting, uh, hitter stories. Just like I was looking up pictures of kidder to like to see if there were any where he was depicted as actually being green in a, a like, uh, in opposition to just wearing green, green clothing. But yeah, I'm seeing this miniature painting from a copy of a book of Felicity. It's uh, titled Alexander and Hitler enter the Land of Darkness, and uh, you know, it's uh, showing um, you know, uh, Khidir accompanying Alexander. Uh, venturing into you know the the land of darkness or the land you know where there, there's no sun uh searching for the the fountain of life you know so it's kind of this uh idea of hitter as being the garden uh, the guardian of immortality and also of uh sort of subtle knowledge cool well yeah right. so that's who hitter is uh, that's and um yeah, yeah um in terms <laughs> of different connections you know yeah definitely leprechauns the green man you can draw all these different parallels um, Swamp Thing, yeah. Shrek, uh, the Green Man. Swamp lantern. Thing basically is like a modern version of the Green Man, yeah, you know or little Green Man. Little Green Men, little I mean, green there's a reason men why Army
1: Men, or just little Green men, men, aliens, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I guess Army Men are wear green to blend in, like to camouflage themselves with like the brush. I mean, so that's do, kind of why like, Army you know, Men are The
1: green cast men. iron Army Men are like all green, you know? They're they're called yeah,
2: green. yeah. But, But, you know, more like alien little green men because they're sort of liminal. That's like sort of what I was thinking. Totally, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, Uh, do we want to move on to number five now? Word, yeah. Okay, oh, is that, that's me. Okay, Uh, Sir Brainy asks uh, another question. They write simply, Sussness of Amy Therese. Oh boy. boy. Um,
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I feel like, from the time when this question was posed, like she's probably become like so much saucer. Well, I have, almost, I, I have an update. I have an
1: update. I noticed something just from this week when we we're recording of what's been going around. Um, I believe she tweeted on October 13th. I think even since then we did like her mission to Mars episode. I think we brought up, you know, Amy and like red planet and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And like Adrian Vermule, you know, her biggest fan, but she wrote on October 13th, hey, remember when... I'm not going to do an Australian accent. It'd be fun. <laughs> uh, hey, remember... No, no. Hey, remember when Richard Spencer triggered the feds for five straight years, helped undermine Trump, and gave the libs everything they needed, including the visual material and Genesis story for Biden to launch his unity campaign and then told the alt-right to vote for Biden? Thinking emoji. And then Richard mm. Spencer quote tweeted that tweet uh, later, that, uh, later that morning... And said, Hey, remember when Amy Therese was an interesting idiosyncratic Marxist before she started regurgitating dumb right wing talking points and conspiracy theories and mommy to MAGA teenagers?
3: Um, You're right. You're right. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, broken clocks twice a day, right? You know, uh, that's such a. The battle lines are so. This is some real like fifth generation warfare battle lines here. Where I feel
2: like I haven't seen Richard Spencer on Twitter in so long. Like this is the Me first neither. I've seen of him in such How a long How is time.
1: he not banned from Twitter? Like that's weird, isn't it?
2: It is weird. It's because he's so dapper and uh, presentable, you I know?
1: Yes. Yeah. I know he is the, the respectable edge of the, the white nationalist blade. Um, mm-hmm. that is very, he's a very sus background art on his, uh, Profile that looks like kind of mystical, like Greek ruins or something. I don't know what he's, I don't know what kind of weird entryism thing that he's doing, but interesting little fight to be picking uh, between Amy and Richard Spencer. I mean, what is Amy Therese sus? Like, maybe? I mean, I I feel like
2: she's definitely getting Peter Thiel money at this point. uh, It feels And she's really like cozied up with some of the integralist people who we Uh, mentioned, like the connection that was sort of like developing between them when we did our episode about integralism has only like become like truly cemented like they're bffs now like which is not something that you would have predicted like a couple years ago when like amy therese was like a known quantity like still kind of a weirdo like you would not have predicted that like if you knew sofrabah mari and you knew amy therese you would not think that they would have become bffs or like vermule and Amy would be like podcasting together and like praising each other and like RTing each other every day. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. It's, hmm. Uh, well, you know, there, the, it is this kind of, you know, you see a certain overlap, like the national conservatism kind of alliance um and i don't know yeah oh i'm seeing another like a picture of like a kind of anime version of like amy and like the little friends pepe the baby pepe that was uh, yeah, she i'll, loves I'll that. give the devil his due a little funny to say like you're playing mommy to a bunch of maggot teenagers <laughs> Like uh yeah i is
2: mean is like you're right you're right i mean that will yeah i guess it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel because like it's just so obvious like what she's doing i'm sure like you know i mean it's very tragic like when you get just like caught dead to rights and dunked on that hard by richard spencer but
1: i don't know yeah she is she is kind of COVID pilled though she is saying that uh a a little while back someone was speculating it looked like they were setting dashik up to be the fall guy for the whole thing quote tweeting um fauci throwing peter dashik under the bus maybe that's true I mean, I remember I did listen to some what's left, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. I'm not afraid. Um, around I remember around like the primary season, I feel like the whatever previous like OS of like Amy was running back then, it was all focused on just like attacking Elizabeth Warren and her supporters. Yeah. Which honestly, I mean, not, not very harmful thing to do. Kind of funny. Um, but also sad that so many like DSA type people were like Warren curious. Remember that? God. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, she's like, uh, I don't know. Like she calls herself a Marxist sometimes but then spends a lot of time just, like, attacking, like, quote-unquote, the left. I don't really like this conflation. I get what people are saying, like, these post-left people when they attack the left, but when they say, like, that's why I'm done with the left. Well, if you're taking the left as, like, an existing category, like, it's on a spectrum, so, like, where are you going to go? I mean, like, are you going to go right? Any given
2: one of these people might have a good point. Like, Vermeule has, like, good tweets. Like, he does occasionally make good points if Sohrab didn't block me. I mean, he maybe not so much. But I'm sure there's, like, every once in a while he has, like, a tweet that's correct. Because this whole thing is, like, designed to you know like filter people out into ideological camps and like there yeah. has to be like some kind of you know value to both perspectives like you know they can't one can't just be completely absurd like you know or obviously like she says things that uh, are true or resonate like you know all people do uh, even Wasbappen, who is even more insane than Amy, like, you know, is capable of hitting on something true. But I feel like, like when, especially back when he was like
1: saying whatever the popular kind of party line was on like Syria and like maybe 2014, 2015, that a lot of people were like he was probably doing quite well with his takes because they I don't know. They were.
2: I don't know. I feel like he's always been as like, you know, well, maybe I didn't know about him at that like when he was popular like if he ever but I feel like he only ever was popular for being insane like even if you like were in that camp like then you know or were pro revolution or like a normie lib like you would not be down with what's happening because he would be like insane by that standard you know he would like be sprinkling some extra level of like derangement on top of whatever he was saying that you might agree with but anyway my my point is that like yeah you know like all these people like you know are obviously like right about certain things but the fact is that like yeah it's mostly about as much as she would protest against this it really is about like signaling alignment with a certain team or faction like and Mm -hmm. being against the left and like thereby being on the right like that's what i think amy is really all about like is just like counter signaling like quote unquote leftism and like partaking in like the culture war bullshit discourse. Yeah,
1: which I get that I just, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess even ultra left has like a poison connotation to it. So it's not like I should say, why doesn't she call herself ultra left? Or like, I don't know, the real left. Maybe that's just like lame and cringe as well. But I don't know if you're going to play around with calling yourself a Marxist. Like it seems to be that I don't know. Like she's, she's making kind of tactical, like rhetorical alliances with like extremely far right wing uh, people.
2: Well, but even like, even the Josiah's people, like on the Josiah's website, you know, her like I see I'm seeing an RT of Adrian Vermeule like yep. on her Twitter right now as I'm scrolling it, yep. and like on the Josiah's website, you know, the the Integralist Hub online uh, for him and and for. Uh, Pater Edmund and all these people like what's their motto again it's like non-declinavit uh, et non-dextrom uh, you know I don't decline to the right or to the left oh, you know okay. they're they're also like kind of in that sort of like post right left dichotomy because like you know you might recognize them as being like oh you know they're just like right wing because like all you do is like post MAGA shit and like you love Trump and you know that's like your real ultimate alliance despite how much you signal otherwise that's the thing like it always breaks down this way like I saw before like you know there's this creep Jack Murphy who is, like, this, like, polyamorous, like, uh, you know, like, Claremont fellow, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, like, a fellow at the Claremont Institute, because, and it's not even his real name, it's, like, some pseudonym that he made up, like, during Gamergate, you know, when he was, uh, (laughs) cutting his, his teeth online in, in Gamergate, you know, uh, and his whole thing is, like, you know, he was, like, a pickup artist guy, and he's all about, like, quote-unquote, like, polyamory. And now, like, you know, he's in a weird position where he kind of has to pretend that he's, like, trad while at the same time, like, not necessarily disavowing, like, his old stuff. And, like, all the, like, integralist people, like, Saurabh and Vermeule, like, they all have to, like, you know, throw in their lot with him. Because really, at the end of the day, like their ultimate allegiance, as much as they would say, like, it is to Mother Church or whatever, like, it's really like they're just like totally captured by this bullshit culture war discourse, like 100%. And Amy is the same thing. That's why, like, even though you would think there would be significant differences between them, like they're fucking BFFs. You know, like I guess Amy now is like kind of trad curious, like maybe she's Catholic. I don't know. But I don't know if she maybe is she's or converting. Not. She still does attack
1: but, like the like the Libtads, um, you know, quite a yeah. bit. Like she tweeted recently about how The president of the AFL CIO is on the board of NED enacting the imperatives of US imperialism. They work hand in glove with the CIA. That's what this is. It's what it's always has been. Like, not wrong. Well, of course. Not wrong. No, no. Um, But
2: but all right wing people. Shitting on Jacobin,
1: like. Yeah,
2: all right wing people do that, though. And all right wing people like, are correct like a lot of about a lot of the stuff they would say like you know a standard right-wing critique about Hillary Clinton like probably like at least 75% of it like would probably be like you know, more or less right you know like uh, roughly well, 75% I, of it I, like. I don't think
1: most right-wing people well only people on the Tucker end of the the more cutting edge like Tucker end of the spectrum where they like criticize the CIA and stuff like that
3: but, but only Tucker like, is the most popular Tucker he is the is, most popular true. right-wing he is. media
2: figure. You know, the like, the age of the neocon, like, in terms of, like, the popular discourse is, like, kind of... Like, the only person I've seen, like... one. Of, I, I always think of how I saw on Jack Sarfati's Twitter that he was, oh, yeah, like, yeah. saying that Trump was good because Henry Kissinger, like, endorsed his foreign policy. <laughs> and that was such, like, a dissonant thing to me that, like, no, yeah. like, normal Trump... Like supporter would ever do because like his whole thing is being in opposition to yeah. oh, so that for old sure. style of neo-connery so like what, what yeah you, like, exactly like that's so like out of like such a weird like out of touch thing to to do to try to like you know like that no that would not resonate with any other trump supporter but i feel like yeah tucker's wildly popular and yeah i think that like populism the scourge of populism like has become very mainstream on the right and like you know, yeah, I mean, the thing about the right wing is that when they criticize the left, they mean like the woke tads and yeah. like, you know, the Marxists, like everyone, like everyone to the left of like Trump, basically, you know, like that's who they mean when they say the left
3: or yeah, like, you yeah. know,
2: the Democrats and the Marxists, like who are really just Democrats. That's like what they they think, which is and know, in f- fact, f- like, you know, if you're an integralist, then maybe even China is like less of a woke tard and, and not really left wing. You oh, know for only sure. the oh, Democrats I mean, and, like, and like SJWs and Black they're... Lives Matter are yeah exactly
1: yeah yeah um, no I think there is like you know there's there's some China curiosity there I wouldn't be surprised if like Richard Spencer was a little China curious you know but but most of this is about culture war stuff it's like I look through looking on our TL right now and it's like mostly talking about woke tards and yeah. stuff like that which is like okay yeah fine Or are woke tards like I totally get it but. Yeah, I don't know. It just feeds into, like, this certain kind of um, this, this like, culture war bullshit uh, dynamic that it's, like, even though she criticizes the dynamic itself, like, also participates in it. And I feel like she has that in common with, like, other people in the spectrum, like Glenn Greenwald, who is, like, constantly, he's, like, you know, every, like, the 150 times he's been on Tucker, he's always kind of introduced as, like, this guy's a leftist. But he's so fed up with these crazy woke people yeah. that he's coming on our show to, like, vent about it. But it's, like, he comes on, like, every week. Yeah, like, it's so an amazing, it's, like, it's, it's an like,
2: amazing grift, but you can only hold it up for so long. Like, I, I, Dave Rubin started out that way, but he can't even really pretend that he's a liberal anymore. But he used to do that. He used yeah, to be like, yeah. look, I'm a liberal, but I'm, I'm just curious about some of this stuff, you know, but... Eventually. I remember he was uh, re- watching some really funny clip of Dave Rubin where he's like, I will stand before you proudly today and say, I'm a conservative. And like, you know, everyone's just silent and he has to do a like, kind of like a Jeb Bush type, like, please clap thing, you know? <laughs> no, like, but I think that what is missing from like the analysis of like Grant Greenwald and like from Amy is like the f- awareness that it is like a fucking trap and like it's meant to to like piss you off. And like, they try to create the situation on purpose. That's what I've increasingly yeah. come to feel. I like, think so. uh, I was thinking about this. I, I tweeted about it, like, you know, but I, I really had like, the reason I tweeted about it is because I had a real moment of clarity. I felt, or like something that really, uh, you know, uh, pushed me further in this sort of direction that I've been leaning towards where like the state department, like tweeted something that was like, it's international pronouns oh, day, yeah, I saw that. you know, with like, uh, and it's like, they knew what the result of tweeting that would be. Like, how could they not? Like, they would have to be so dumb to not know what the reaction would be that, like, overwhelmingly... It's not like... And also, like, the people who like that stuff aren't going to be like, yay, thank you, State Department. Like, you know, because generally, like, the the he-hims, he-theys, like, of the world, like, they are... Also, like, not super jingoistic or, like, well, down with the U.S. military. I don't know. Like, I mean,
1: look at – I think it's spread throughout the, the – as Amy would say, the professional managerial class. Um, You know, the PNCs. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but, basically to the point where, like, everybody has their pronouns. So I think, like, people that are, like, extremely, like, blue-pilled and are just, like, in this house type people, like, might yeah. be like – like. I mean, I, I was watching CNN the other day and like Don Lemon was just playing clips from that Biden town hall of just like not substantive things, but just like uh, Biden making little jokes like, oh, I'm not going to make it all about me. You know, the Republicans don't like me. Oh, I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not going to. And then he and then like Don Lemon's just like, wow. Can you imagine that just a year ago we had a president that like, you know, can you imagine our previous president? Saying that, this is big. This is big. <laughs> it's just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like, this is yeah, all this It's all fake. Like, there are some people some out pe- there
2: like Charlotte Clymer who, like, maybe are like, wow, like, my vice president has pronouns in her bio. Like, amazing. But I think that, like, your average, like, woke tad, especially on Twitter... Like they are not like about to be like thank you like CIA for, like you know <laughs> I, I probably not you know I mean, like yeah. come on like not like a know. DSA
1: person like a DSA person would probably be like this is kind of like exactly name and like even, yeah like, even a
2: DSA person would be like yeah this is like at, at the most at least, or at least pandering you know and I think that my point is there's no way they didn't know that for whatever like positive response they would get. And like, yeah, they got a little bit. They got, well, I'm just looking at the ratio that they got right now. They got uh, 522 retweets and 6,000 quote tweets. Oh. And like, you know what all those quote tweets are. Yeah. They're uh, like right wing they okay?
0: are like, ah
2: like you know, the China's gonna fucking kill us. Like they do yeah, math, right? we do woke, like <laughs> uh, like <laughs> you know, like, half of sick. them are all about how China has like a hypersonic missile that like they can't target. They've you know, been doing like, that for
1: yeah, they've been on TV like all day. They've been fucking. Yeah, talking a hypersonic, hypersonic
2: missile. missile, it defies the laws of physics. I actually heard someone say that it defies the laws of physics, like so just like they said about the UFO, is it like, UFO? Is this, like, are yeah. you oh, pin it's the, the UFO. Whole thing?
1: Just like COVID, you're going to pin it all on China. Like China's been doing UFOs. Like, <laughs> <fuck> <laughs> like, like
2: um, you know. no, but like literally like that, you know, it's either, it's either China has a UFO or like, you know, uh, our boys are still in Afghanistan. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, what about all the people who are dying right now in, you know, Afghanistan? Like we need to help. Um, yeah, it, and it's you're focused so. on pronouns and like, <laughs> for, like the idea that like when they came up with this idea of like posting or tweeting for pronouns day or whatever, like yeah. whoever told someone to do that, like if that person didn't know that, like they're terrible at their job, like, and I just don't believe that they're that terrible at their job. It's like a level of just like not being aware of like the environment on Twitter in like an ambient way or the discourse and the like. I just feel that they do this they do like they want you to be pissed off they want to get a rise out of people when amy is like going off saying like look at these woke tats like they they broke the sign you know like dave chappelle didn't do anything wrong like that's what they want like i really do think that they are trying to piss you off they want you to get pissed off they want you to be focused on like the pronouns or like this and that you know like oh they said this like the academics like they really do like they really do want that that is my belief uh yeah no
1: i i think I, I've come around to that too. And I, I felt that way a little way for a while because it's like it's so kind of tone-deaf to it almost feels willfully tone deaf to like we're gonna we're gonna poke and prod at you and you know and, and try to get a rise out of you, but then we're gonna funnel anyone who does like get triggered basically, get yeah. sucked into this whole like this the the right wing of sphere. Like you gotta go on the Tucker team now because there's no other constituency for you. If you're sick of the woke Todd's, you know, and so that that's like a very difficult thing now. I mean, is Amy getting the Peter Thiel money and doing all this cynically or is she just getting sucked into the vortex of this like culture war, like sinister dialectic? I don't know. I can't say. I mean,
2: I don't even necessarily think that anyone getting the Peter Thiel money is like necessarily in on it. I feel like, you know, at that level, at the Amy level. Like, I think that maybe they are, like, true believers, but I think that, I don't know, I really think that a certain level, and I think that a lot of people who, like, you know, are, like, uh, defending XYZ, like, woke thing or something, you know, like, like, oh, Spidey's gonna be gay now, or, like, we're getting rid of this Dr. (laughs) Seuss book or something, you know, like, the people who get mad at that, like, you know, it's put out there, it's done, at some point someone instigates this, Uh, Idea, You know, maybe not like a like a Spidey thing, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like uh, Stephen Colbert does some kind of thing or like, you know, some something is seated out there, you know, like Spidey's going to be gay. We're making this person black, you know, like uh, at the same time of like some more important thing or something like that, you know, is going on. Like we're turning Spidey black and then everybody into the other direction exactly and then amy gets furious at it and then like yeah exactly then people are being like well wait what's wrong with being black you know and it's just like that's not the fucking point like you know yeah Uh, like what's wrong with spidey being black like nothing like but none of this fucking matters it doesn't matter like Like, you know it doesn't fucking matter spidey's not real (laughs) he's not not real real. (laughs) like
1: gin he's not even a gin
2: he's not even
1: a fucking gin he's a tulpa
2: he's not a gin basically Um, a tulpa yeah, he's he's he he might have reached a status of a Tolpa with all the energy <laughs> that's being spent on Spidey. Right? Like maybe he's a Tolpa, but yeah. Oh, God, um, yeah. I
1: notice uh, she is very up right now in attacking the treats discourse and uh, especially Chapo for promoting it. The treats I, thing
2: is something that uh, I feel. You know, yeah, like I saw right. some posts. I think it was L. Line Cook or something who said like the treats went out in a memo. Yeah. Like I don't think it actually went out in a memo. But it did go out in kind of a memo because it was on a certain podcast that everyone on the quote-unquote, uh, as Amy would call it, the left, like, listens to. Oh, you really? Know? Is that where the like, first
1: mention of treats?
2: I think that that might have had a role in perpetuating it. Oh. Um, you know, I don't know where it really came from or who fed it to, to them or whatever. But I think that, in a way, like, what L. Cook said was right. Like, and then, what do you know? And, like, yeah, like... That is bullshit. Like, you know, again, like, we can have a reasonable conversation about, like, supply chain issues and, like, you know, the various problems around this, like, but now it's just become this thing where it's like, oh, you want your treats? Like, and then, and Amy, like, getting up into a tizzy over, like, the woke tads. Yep. when, like, none of this is now, like... And then nobody's
1: know. actually talking about the supply no chain because we got diverted it. into this, like, stupid fucking issue about whether or not Americans have too many treats or not or whether we should, like, laugh at them or... Yeah, and is like, it, like,
2: ableist to, like, not <laughs> want people to have treats, you know? Like, I need my treats. Like, treats are the only thing I can eat because I have Are we a bunch of fucking dogs? Issues. Like, what, who's like, eating
1: treats? Like, stop. Like, the this is... Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, she... But she feels a purpose. Like, it's like there's... You know, uh, the discourse abhors a vacuum and I feel like Amy Therese like fills it in like somebody's going to have to come out and kind of push back against that on the ostensible left. But it's also is you have to wonder, like, is that kind of part of the design of these like hot button little pseudo issues in the first place or just like um what do you i don't know like you know rhetorical obfuscation kind of warfare like irregular rhetorical warfare i mean that's a thing like just get both, everybody like off track both
2: of these sides like are insane i and i believe that it is by de, like you know they're like r- absurd by design like the party line of both is like insane by design like yeah like you know for you know like yeah spidey like being black or whatever like it's fine or whatever you know like uh usually people like will go on one side of that like maybe they're like conservative or whatever about spidey and they feel like it's wrong for spidey to like change his roots you know because that's that's who spidey is you know he's a white guy like exactly (laughs) you know yeah like return (laughs) return you know to, to spidey being white but if you telescope out for a second you realize that this is about like fucking spidey it doesn't at the end of the day like matter at all and like both positions are like stupid like like who the fuck cares like that's the thing like it and i feel like this is the case like in a lot you know like uh, i'm trying to think of a, a more politically pertinent example i'm trying to think of what's a good thing that people have gotten like outraged about lately I don't know, like maybe saying that like words like are violence or something like that, you know, like, yeah, words like can be hurtful, like they can be like traumatic, they can like linger with you in a long way if they like are something that like touches like, like something that you have an attachment to like in your identity, you know, if someone's racist towards you, that like, can you know, in a certain way, that can like be a form of violence. Like That's an understandable like idea, you know, Uh, and it's also understandable how like words aren't on the same level of like, physical you know, violence. actually hurting somebody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like physical violence and, you know, or like, you know, hitting, shooting somebody or stabbing somebody, you know? Yeah. And, but then like both of these sides like end up like talking past each other and arguing like insane things. Like on one side, like, you know, racist words don't matter. And on the other side, like you set, end up getting like railroaded into saying like, you know, these things actually are equivalent, you know, when really like no one actually thinks either. But somehow, like, through this design, through this architecture that we're all being forced into, people end up, like, arguing one or the other. Like, no one actually yeah. thinks that, like, racism doesn't hurt and, like, that there isn't such a thing, like, you know, that words do- can't, in a way, be a form of violence that hurts you. And no one actually thinks that, like, it's, like you know, a hurtful word is as hurtful as being, like, stabbed in your heart, you know, with a knife. Yeah, But somehow we end up arguing opposite sides of this idea. Like, the idea that, like, they are just as hurtful or the idea that, like, they don't hurt at all. They don't matter
1: at all. Like, if you're in a leftist space, like, I get it. You Like, you don't, like, I've heard anecdotes of, like, people going to DSA meetings just kind of, like, overly bogged down. And it's always, like, a bunch of, like upper middle class like white people that are like running the meetings but like they're so like terrified and like like hello like i'm he him and like blah 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 and, like we're gonna do a progressive stack and like you know etc cetera, etc cetera, like almost like driving themselves a little nutty to the point where it's even like off-putting yeah. like to the very people they're trying to like include but then on the other side it's like i should be able to like joke around and like say the n-word well, yeah exactly. i mean like, <laughs> like not nah, yeah. i'm okay with letting that one go i'm fine like and somehow it always die ends on that up hill.
2: And somehow it always ends up being, like, on this, like... uh, Like, these two, like, outrageous extremes. And I think that that's, like, like one extreme being, like... I don't know, like, if you accidentally say he to someone who looks like what you've been brought up all your life to identify as a male, when really they identify as they, that's, like, you know, an attack against them, and, like, you should lose your job or something. And um, on the other side, like uh this is a white country and like everyone else needs to leave <laughs> you know like i don't know yeah but like yeah. uh and somehow people end up arguing like get like pushed into one of those two camps i don't like when really i think most people don't think either but somehow like this is what our discourse is like that we're forced to take like two sides in this weird dialectic and i do think that like figures like amy like people who are like sort of signposts or like they're like the uh the bumpers and ping pong, you know, like they're randomly sort of <laughs> placed all around. Like uh-huh. you're trying to get it into like the certain holes of like, you know, oh, you a mean satisfactory. Like mini golf? Uh, uh no, not ping pong, uh pinball. Oh pinball, pinball. Yeah, yeah, When yeah. you're like, you know, and like uh things like light up or whatever, like you yeah. know, but they're all like randomly placed around. So it's like you try to like shoot it into like having a cogent thought and then you like bounce off like post left Darth Vader, it's like ding, ding, whoa, ding, whoa, ding, whoa, ding, whoa, like try again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you like zap over to like the integralist and it's like, you know, like oh, good job. Like and it, like zaps you around. <laughs> no, true. To, like, you know, Charlie Climber or whatever yeah. and like you can't like get it where you want it to go. Oh god,
1: yeah. No, it's dangerous out there, but, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it's a minefield. Yeah, All right. it so is yeah,
2: a minefield. Just okay, us, that's, I feel like that's, we, that's our thoughts yeah. on the These Q&As are brutal. I'm I like, ah, uh, really we're just going through the weeds, like, you know, I'm worried. Uh, okay, anyway. And think, we also, like, don't, again, we just want to reiterate, like, we don't, like, you know, come up with these things in advance, so this is, like, the hot seat, like, for us. We're, like, it really on is, things. it really is. People like, are asking us about, these and like, these, you know.
1: Um yeah. yeah, okay, do you want right. to read number 6? I think we have time all for right. this one.
2: All right. Yeah, I think we do. We didn't we're not going to make it to 10, I don't think, no. but we'll make it to we 6. We get to 6. Yeah. Big Lou asks, "How do we all deal, I guess, how do we all feel about Scorsese's movies seeming to touch on deep political subjects but always in the most liberal way? Taxi Driver depicts an isolated lone gunman. Goodfellas and Casino get into the mafia without touching any deeper government involvement." Now he has to make a movie and tell a story and can't exactly play Oliver Stone and intentionally pill us, but I think it gets sus when he delves the Nazi scientists in MK Ultra territory in Shutter Island, this came to mind when I first started reading mm-hmm. this, only to make it all in the protagonist's head. And De Niro's fascination with the CIA seems sus too. He pushed to make that Good Shepherd movie about the CIA. Yeah. And he was the one who brought I Heard You Paint Houses of Scorsese to make into a movie. Both movies treat the CIA's involvement with organized crime with kid gloves. The Departed is seemingly the movie on upper echelon criminal informants, which we've been we've seeing play out with the leaders of the Proud Boys, oath keepers and the base and charles manson may have been as well but the fbi is it as fumbling in and over their heads in the movie scorsese is partially responsible for the image of these subjects we have in our heads and i guess my question is does anybody know of any ties or connections he has that would make him intentionally depict these subjects in the most mainstream established narrative way he could just not be a conspiracy theorist i suppose haha But then, why depict a guy who's searching for clues to a plot in a sanitarium to do experiments on mental patients aided by an ex-Nazi as insane? Seems like a (laughs) psyop. Yeah, I recently Mm. watched Shutter Island for the first time, like, just uh, not too long ago, and I was kind of stricken by, like, the psyopy nature of the plot because it did kind of touch on a lot of, like, you know, very salient themes in, like, you know... uh, conspiracy uh theory narratives like you know mk psyops like things like you know the the conspiracy in shutter islands like basically is something that happens but it turns yeah. out to just be like a fantasy Yeah, uh, yeah, it kind you of know, sucks. Yeah. um they it is ironic really
1: because i believe he yeah. was uh oliver stone's film professor at nyu wow. when they were both young but i guess you know whatever stone whatever got stone on the tip that he went on uh Scorsese was, like, not as interested in it. I do wonder about that. I mean, I I really liked Martin Scorsese's movies. Like, growing up, they were, like, very formative to me, and I thought they were, like, really cool and smart and stylish and, like, all these you other You know what things. I also
2: watched around that same time? I think maybe because we were watching a few movies that were at Scorsese and DiCaprio, The Aviator, which is, like, oh, a huge, like, panegyric, oh, like, hagiography of it. Howard Hughes. Yeah. It's, like, so nice to him like that's, it, it, that's
1: a real interesting one i never saw it because it kind of just something felt like weird about it and like off and i just i don't know i like wasn't it's one of the few movies of his i haven't seen but i was interested once we started doing sj i was interested maybe in going back and like looking at it as we see how much howard hughes has popped up and how sketchy he was but like really they don't they don't get into any of the weird shit that much except that he goes insane but like it, it's like a panegyric to him
2: yeah it's, like, very, I mean, he kind of goes insane in it, but he, like, is really depicted as being, like, kind of heroic and, like, you know, like sort of a tragic figure, you know, like, he is, like, a beautiful mind, kind of, you know? He's eccentric, he has all these problems, like, he's not able to form, like, relationships, like, he's a, a deeply, like, flawed but great man, you know, who, like, uh, it definitely is, like, a triumphant movie in which he's like, a heroic figure, and, you know, he has, like, a, it ends, like, a it ends kind of like on a sort of ominous note of like, he might go further insane, but you know, with him having like a triumph over like the doubters and his enemies, you know, uh, interesting yeah. it's uh yeah, yeah well, it's it's and it doesn't go into like any of the stuff that you would read about howard hughes like the yankee and cowboy war or anything like okay, that yeah, like you yeah, know it's it's weird. very much like a straightforward oscar bait type huh. like biopic yeah you know? yeah it looked uh, boring
1: to me and it was like three and a half hours long so maybe that also yeah kept me away. it's but not it, like
2: boring per se like it's not any more boring than any biopic like that but it is like a biopic like that
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i think okay so you know in terms of scorsese's politics it's worth mentioning that he was a kind of lefty guy in the '60s, like I remember watching years ago, one of his NYU shorts called "The Big Shave" from 1967, which oh, is uh, yeah, described which is as like an about the Vietnam War. It's like a you know, metaphor. The guy keeps shaving, yeah, until yeah, he like, right. shaves his like face off, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 he yeah. just keeps doubling down, and uh, and then you know uh, he had Mean Streets and everything, but he was also part of that like movie brat New Hollywood circle with Brian De Palma, Coppola, George Lucas, and Spielberg. He eventually moved out to L.A in the early 70s and you know started you know making movies out there i mean taxi driver is one that i've come back to because like i don't know when i saw it when i was like 15 i was just like this is the most brilliant movie i've ever seen you know (laughs) like i just like (laughs) whoa like he like paul schrader and scorsese totally get i think it's still like a very good movie a really amazing time capsule of like 1970s new york and everything but I, I definitely have like gone back and kind of like reexamined it in the last few years. And I remember having a feeling like after right after the 2016 election, I realized like, oh, my God, like Travis Bickle's like an incel on 4chan, but like in the 70s. And I think at the time I was like driving for Uber, like I was like moonlighting as an Uber driver. And so I was thinking about like the weird isolation. Actually, Paul Schrader did that when he was he moved to L.A. and got divorced and lived in a taxi for like two months and was homeless. And that's when he wrote Taxi Driver and kind of felt like he was going insane and all this other stuff. So like, I feel like it's emotionally like a spot on thing, but it does have these elements of it that are so fucking weird. It's like, it's almost like, I mean, like, if you think about like one of the main plots in it, there's like a Pizzagate plot where there's like this white girl who's like 12 years old that's being pimped out by Harvey Keitel and yeah, then I mean, just there's straight a
2: straight up like child trafficking yeah. which i mean definitely think is a thing you know like she well she's like pubescent kind of No, she's you supposed know, to be like 12
1: she, she's supposed to be 12 yeah. in the movie um like, right. or that's what uh, and actually i mean i think it was probably smart for them to do this but uh i think they changed from the script the 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 race of the pimp uh sport played by Harvey Keitel from uh, a black pimp to like a white pimp um because mm-hmm. otherwise my god uh, that would that would hit a certain way today well it kind
2: of r- it reminds me a little bit of like what we uh said on like uh, you can't win about like batman like and how batman's like family like one of the things i think is very insightful about taxi driver and i think it does make this point well and it does have some political relevance is that like you know what like, how random it can be, what the narrative of, like, an event becomes. Yeah. You know, like, how, like, the, the heroism of Travis Bickle at the end, you know, as, like, savior of these children from, you know, these, these like, uh, in, in the situation, you know, that is not really, like, a reflection of what, like, his real motives are or, like, the totally. kind of person that he is. Like, Absolutely. he's actually just, like, a maniac. And, it, yeah. yeah, it kind of reminds me of, like, the idea, like, you know, oh, yeah, a conveniently, like, Batman's parents were murdered by, like, a white criminal, so, like, he hates criminals, and his crusade is against, like, criminals, but, like, you know, what if, like, you know, they were murdered by a black criminal, then, like... If you apply the same logic, uh, it would be...
1: You have a real problematic Batman on your hands.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, it's, like, the same thing, where, like, it's just, like, this kind of, like, reactionary impulse, like, that makes Batman into, like, a hero, because it just so happens that, like, his psychosis is directed towards, like, baddies, like, you know, uh, whatever like was like whatever he attached this trauma to would be like the object of obsession and it just so happens to be like bad like criminals and it just so happens that in his magical fantasy universe the criminals are like you know uh mad scientists and stuff you know like uh-huh. we just trade up like unnuanced like cartoon criminals but yeah, like yeah. uh you know it's a similar thing where like it's just happenstance you know like actually these forces like uh actually like you know everything that leads to the point of like him Uh, go like of Travis Bickle going into the brothel. Like, you know, there's a lot of like chance involved and like the narrative that forms around him doesn't really capture what happened. But, you know, obviously in some ways we've talked about in the show, I feel like how that emphasis on like the randomness of events, even though that is like an important lesson and point, I think around understanding, like it kind of relates to like our thing about like ISIS, you know, like who knows what the circumstances are that lead someone to be like in, you know, the group of ISIS combatants, that are getting pissed on by uh, war tourists from the United States <laughs> after they are killed by an sure. airstrike called out on an iPad by a podcaster. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it might not be that they're, like, ideologically devoted to ISIS, you know, even though it's easy to fit them into these, like, you know, very evil villainous box, you know. So well, I think Yeah, that, I mean,
1: in that yeah. way, like, Travis Bickle, I think it actually is a very salient movie to, like, today because it does, like, spot these certain trends in, like, American culture and how Travis Bickle is kind of, like an unhinged like QAnon mass shooter or something like that. Like he almost murders a liberal Senator. Like, yeah, that's pretty much what he's like gearing up towards. And then when he's kind of, uh, frustrated in that attempt, he just switches over. Well, I'm going to like save this girl from the pedos, you know, (laughs) like, uh, yeah. And, and I think that the fact that he's a Vietnam veteran is so uh, crucial, even though it's like only lightly kind of hinted at mostly, um, you know not they don't really they don't make it a whole sob story about how he's like oh like the things he saw in Vietnam but he does like shave his head into a mohawk like the special forces like phoenix commandos used to do and there's definitely implication that like this guy was probably fucked up by being like a marine in Vietnam like th- mm-hmm. this guy probably killed people and like and he's like this wellspring of like violence and like frustration also i think we have to talk about like the bizarre dracularity of the fact that taxi driver ended up inspiring John Hinckley Jr. to try to kill Ronald Reagan because he was obsessed with Jodie Foster. Just what? Like, that is fucking weird. And I don't know if it's like... I don't know. Like, because Scorsese was really on, like, a a bit of a hot streak with, like, Raging Bull and, like, you know, stuff like that. I feel like in the the late 70s or the 80s, like, around the time that 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 happened. And he kind of he kind of like went off into the wilderness a little bit in like the the 80s after that shooting. I think it did have some kind of effect on him. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, this is what you get, Marty, for making a movie where you like play fast and loose talking about political assassinations. Like you're going to inspire somebody to go and fucking do It's kind of like, you know, like four months ago, Alec Baldwin starts weirdly talking shit about the CIA on Twitter all the time and then like, oh, he just happens to have a gun and like shoot somebody on set
2: yeah that's a whole other thing with a live round that's a whole other uh, you know yeah it's a Uh, whole other thing
1: but it does i don't know it makes me think of like because after the jodie foster john hinckley like incident he he didn't really get like directly political i feel like in a lot of movies after that like yeah and i will
2: say about taxi driver like even though i think that its point like is important like even at the end when like you know he talks to his sort of like, you know, unattainable love interest. Yeah. And he's like, and he's like, I hope he wins, you know, like it's almost like how apolitical. Yeah, he doesn't you know give a fuck. he is. Like and exactly. And also, you and, know, you gotta you
1: gotta think like, is there something like PTK going on with fucking Travis Bickle? Yeah, like exactly. was he like PTK'd in the Phoenix program? Well you could
2: you could read it that way, but I feel like even though it makes like kind of important like sociological points, like ultimately like you know there's more to politics than like the message of this movie and like those aspects of politics don't really factor into like the oeuvre of scorsese you know they like don't uh, really. they this don't is really. kind of really about like you know how politics like it kind of shows politics as being like an expression of you know like a uh, random like emotional kind of effusions of broken people which mm. in to in to an extent it is but it's not only that yeah it's you know not it's only also that. like ptk type stuff and yes. like deliberate plans by like you know uh shaitan and, and his well for and sure things,
1: i mean but. i feel like even his good friend and fellow uh italian uh brian de palma is like way more interested in kind of the big paranoid picture of things like uh, of that yeah. political thing and like his thrillers and Scorsese he's a little more I don't know like he's he's got that that Catholic kind of a uh, sensibility you know he's a he almost went to the seminary to become a priest and he works a lot of, like, moral kind of dialectics, like, into his movies. But, yeah, when you go through looking, like, his mob movies, like, they're entertaining, they're interesting, whatever, they're, like, compelling. Like, Casino does get, like, a little bit into it, but it's kind of, like, always disappointing how, like, little he gets into it. And especially The Irishman, which, did you watch
3: that?
2: No, I never watched it. I just felt like that... Was, I will say, like you know, know, on the like you know, coming off the question about the the several questions about like Twitter personalities, like I will say that I almost find like the people who are like, Scorsese, like on Twitter, you know, like I feel like a kind of like fandom has like developed around like him and like Tarantino. That's almost to me like almost as annoying as like the Marvel fandom. I won't say almost as annoying, but like weirdly close to being like similar, like in its like fandom dynamics that yeah. maybe the association of that with the irishman is kind of what turned me off a bit I but did. I it's like he's like, similar with
1: like david lynch among a, a slightly different set of people yeah, like he can do like, no wrong he's such a genius i mean i do support it when he like talks shit about like marvel movies yeah and absolutely stuff. Like, i'm like, definitely sure, on scorsese's
2: side in that debate broadly but Critical i'm not support, like but yeah but i'm not like a fucking scorsese like fanboy to the point where like i'm scoping out like every time someone insults like you know I feel like there's, like, a, a fandom of, like, quote-unquote real movies. Like, I saw someone doing it, like, around The Last Duel, where, like, again, I almost feel like maybe this has something to do with, like, the, the culture war bullshit dialectic, where, like, somehow, mm-hmm. like, this will end up perpetuating this nonstop Marvel bullshit, because, like, there's now, like, a fandom, like, calcifying or, like, coalescing around, like, you know, any movie that isn't Marvel, or it's, like, a serious movie. Not mm-hmm. to say that, like, you know, uh, a serious movie... An actual serious movie isn't good, but I don't know. I feel like some there's a little bit of, like, fanboyism, like, c- anti-fanboyism that, like, coalesces around, like, Scorsese, like, Tarantino, yeah, like, yeah. David Lynch that I find to be, like, all right, you know. Obviously, like, there's no fucking comparison between a movie like Taxi Driver, Last Temptation of the Christ good Even movie Favorite like Jesus a Marvel movie. movie oh yeah yeah you know? no, there's
1: no they're categorically no, like, like in better, different but, leagues yeah. uh I did notice here though there's Wikipedia uh, apropos that in 2010 the Wall Street Journal reported Scorsese was supporting the David Lynch Foundation's initiative to help 10,000 military veterans overcome PTSD through transcendental meditation oh awesome. Scorsese has publicly discussed his own practice of TM so he's a fucking TM no. guy god damn it Uh, yeah okay yeah just to run through real quick uh we're getting to the end here but i think the the wolf of wall street bothered me in like a weird kind of way where i felt like he ducked like a lot of the more interesting things about like the evil world of high finance and picked this like relatively small time you know pump and dumper dude jordan Belfort, and then like really relished I feel like you see it in memes that people use in social media today, like in terms of characters who were like misunderstood by their biggest fans, like, I don't know, Patrick Bateman, like Jordan Belfort in that movie, where everyone, like the douchiest, like finance bros will always have like a, like a fucking uh, Leo DiCaprio, like raising his like champagne glass on the yacht at you kind of thing. And just Mm -hmm. like the egregious levels of like, let me like snort Coke out of a hooker's butt. And like, uh, like it, it romanticized the very thing that it was sort of pretending to uh, critique or like morally condemn, but it was so fun that like, how could you not love this? Like, and he does that with mobsters too. And you know, I don't know. Like he, he also made Kundun, which was like about the 14th Dalai Lama and like fighting with the Chinese. I don't know how sus that is, but uh, you well, know. Probably
2: influenced by his practice of transcendental meditation. It probably you know? is. And then The
1: Departed, that. I always kind of, like, The Departed actually does like, it does harm to like the real historical narrative of Whitey Bulger. <laughs> I mean, it does. Like, it, it just makes it like this wacky thing where like, yeah, like the FBI's dumb and Jack Nicholson's wacky and blah, blah, yeah. blah. He wasn't a fucking MK Ultra subject who was an FBI. I mean, it does show him being an FBI informant, but it leaves out like a lot of like the FBI in real life, it was, like, protecting him. They weren't just failing to catch him or some bullshit. Like, I don't know. There's, there's stuff like that. And then, yeah, The Irishman, I felt like, again, pretty disappointing kind of... It, it mentions a couple times some, like, Bay of Pig shit, and then it just moves on. Like, it's just... Like come on tell me what you th- tell me what's on your mind Marty if, if you do care about this I don't think that any
2: of that stuff is on his mind Maybe it's honestly it's not yeah I
1: think he just just like Tarantino and a lot of these other guys they just they they dive into like aesthetics and like movies and they don't like to talk about I feel like a lot of these guys if you started bringing up the way we talk about movies like what's the political what's the subconscious like political influences and statements like that are expressed in this work even if the the auteur didn't intent like they would get very mad very quickly at like how we're talking about like uh, what do you mean like I, I was doing it about a story about a man who wanted to achieve greatness and that's why i made the yeah. aviator like what do you mean it has nothing to do with like politics and blah blah what's blah. like well it's fucking howard hughes man you got to talk about the politics it's
2: whitey bulger it's like the jimmy hoffa like uh you sound like you're not based in movie pilled uh, i'm not you sound based like you don't have a movie <laughs> mindset um and you don't Etc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I Uh, I I
1: would probably be happy making stuffy propaganda films in the Eastern Bloc, um, you know, because yeah, uh,
2: I think I think that the only way to cure you of this problem is for us to do our next five episodes about like you know the Marvel movies and how we hate them, and Joker or whatever, um, (laughs) and just spend all of our time like talking about whatever the most recent movies to come out are. and uh or maybe awesome. go through scorsese's yeah entire catalog entire catalog
1: uh, we'll see like t- like 20 yeah just episodes talk about how amazing they are yeah and just you know so what we amazing. should do we should
2: just turn this podcast to a podcast about the wire and just like do every <laughs> single episode of the wire and like how and just talk about how it's great um oh my anyway. god uh um,
1: 10 years sorry um, that day. was uh,
2: uh, that was a very ooky spooky thought for halloween uh yeah yeah very,
1: very you know pretty pretty what even pretty. gangs in new york doesn't get into like doesn't adequately, in retrospect, it doesn't adequately get into the silk toppers and really, like, explore. It's just like, oh, it's all Boss Tweed's fault. Just leave it there. Hmm. Interesting. Huh? I mean, I, I guess he's just not, he's not a button pusher like, like, uh, like Oliver Stone or even De Palma. I don't know. I think
2: a lot of these people, you know, uh, I, I definitely could see some Scorsese uh, fans getting mad at this comparison, but I think, like, kind of like how uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda read, like, one, like, book from, like, the airport bookstore about Alexander Hamilton and just, like, <laughs> took that to be, like, the end all, the be all, end all of, like, what history is, and ended up making a musical starring black people in which no actual black people appear, um, you know, like, no actual historical black people appear. Like, uh, uh, I, <laughs> I feel like Martin Scorsese is kind of the same thing where he'll, like, read, like, one book about, like, a historical subject that, like, you know, ma- has an interesting narrative around it. And that will just be the end for him. Yeah, I think he know? did that
1: with Goodfellas. Like, he he just took that as, like, okay, and he worked with, like, the writer of the book, Nicholas Pelleggi, I think. Um,
2: and I think a lot of, like, not only artists, but people are like that. Even, you know like, you know. In yeah. Like.
1: It's very common, and I mean, I, maybe I get it. people who think
2: of themselves as being, like, history buffs, like, they don't understand that, like, you know, there might be more than one, like, perspective on, like, what happened.
1: Yeah, you know? that's a dangerous thing to think about in terms of, like, Hollywood adaptations, that people are just doing one book. It's also for, like, probably bullshit, like, IP, intellectual property reasons, like, oh, we Oh, have yeah, to-
2: because, like, what? You want to adapt two books? Like, no. What? Yeah, <laughs> ah, help me. Uh, like.
1: I remember telling people in some meetings, like, oh, is this based on a book? And I'm like, well, it's based on like five books, like, because I wasn't sure yet if I wanted to be like, like, t- chain like my fucking script to like one book, and they didn't like that. They didn't like that. Uh, uh, I, could no. tell. Like, no, I could tell, like, I could tell. They're like, not it, like either say it's based on nothing or give us one thing that we can go out and buy and own, or else like, what is this messiness? It's like, well, you know, fucking Rashomon, dog. I don't know. But uh, last thing I'll say, this will bring it full circle. That yeah, I will say he's done good work in like film preservation and restoration of movies around the world. I, I think I, I saw a Kieslowski movie once in L.A. that he had uh, restored very beautifully. But one of the things he did uh, was he spearheaded the fundraising for the film restoration of Emmerich Pressburger's The Red Shoes from
2: 1948.
1: Wow. Yeah, there you go. Full circle. Wow, so i good on him for that. But, yes, uh, is he a psyop? I don't know, but I feel like he definitely doesn't go as hard. He doesn't go hard in the paint the way I would want him to. Somebody of that cinematic skill. Uh, yeah. So all right. slightly disappointing, but, yeah, all right. got to go
2: walk. All right, cool. The, the
1: dogs must go out. So mm-hmm. we'll leave it there for now, but we'll be back Pretty soon, probably a week after you hear this, with more QA questions from the Grotto. Yeah, Truth. we'll do the rest of this 10. Yeah, exactly. We, <laughs> right. we have like 14 now for the next one, but Great. maybe we yeah. can make it go fast. Uh, we'll see. Yeah,
2: right. Okay. Yes. Inshallah.
1: Uh, inshallah. But, uh, inshallah, but uh, thanks to the Grotto again for providing uh, spicy questions. And until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant.
2: Peace.